One of the things that I was wondering, maybe I'm overthinking this, but who's going to volunteer to fly one of those power-up ships? <laughs> All right, dude. Just just fly out there. Someone's going to shoot you. You're going to explode. But don't worry. It's for a good cause. Yeah, I'm assuming they're just drones, but who knows? I'm hoping. Many, many, many Bothans died to bring us these power-ups. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Shoot the core, Cass. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast that brings the thunder to lighten up your day. From the RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, known throughout other parts of the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru, and alongside me, as always, is... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. Indeed. And RFGeneration.com is the place to be. Um, we do the Shmup Club every month, and if you sign up for the website, which is free, uh, you can come and join one of our playthroughs, and you can also join the regular playthrough that's hosted by Single Banana and Great Ghost 81. Uh, there's great forums there to discuss on. We've got an awesome database where you can uh, look up games, catalog your games, create wish lists, and also uh, have a for sale or for trade list. And also, we have an active Discord right now, so come chat with us there. Plus, Addicted and I both contribute articles to the front page of the website. So lots of good information and resources there, rfgeneration.com. And what's happening for the year of 2019? We're doing something a little special, aren't we? Yes, we are doing the... NES Challenge. Um, so, um, Crabmaster 2000 of RF Generation is doing, uh, or, or leading, I guess, heading up this charge to try and complete or reach certain goals uh, it, for every licensed NES game that was released in North America. Uh, now, I say meet certain goals because, of course, not every game is actually beatable. Uh, you can't really win at Tetris or, you know, something like that. And so there are certain score goals or a certain number of, number of levels that you have to reach, that kind of a thing. And uh, I want to say it's 600-some games that uh, we're looking to beat. And already, as we record this, we are at or just past 150 games. And so a lot of different people in the RF Generation community are pitching in to beat these games, and they're going through... A lot of folks, like myself even, are trying to play new games that we haven't really experienced or don't have much experience with to see if we can beat them. And uh, it's a pretty cool deal, so check that out. All right. Now, we're starting out, us out here at the... Trump Club for 2019, we have an awesome game, and one that I was finally glad to tackle, and I hear it's also your favorite shmup, that's Thunder Force 4, also known as Lightning Force, 
the quest for Dark Star. Can you give us a little bit more information on this? Um, yeah. First, uh, could you uh, shout out our participants? Sure. Our participants for the month of January 2019 were Metalfro, Addicted, Crabmaster2000, Lord Orb4, Easy Racer, Retro Schmupper, Gollum, and Dougley007. Also, I'd like to give special thanks for two, <clears throat> two awesome members for streaming it. They are Nefarious Wes and Sir Flash of Studio Mudprints. Yeah, they both streamed the game a little bit during the course of the month, and uh, I certainly got my fill of streaming Lightning Force and Thunder Force 4 during the month as well. So, taking a look at, at the Thunder Force series, the developer itself, uh, which is Technosoft, they started out in 1980 in Nagasaki, Japan. Uh, they developed video game software for various Japanese microcomputers, um, notably the MSX, the Sharp MZ, and Sharp X68000, and a lot of the hardware in NEC's computer line. And among their early games was a shoot-'em-up known as Thunder Force, which released for the Sharp X1 in 1983, and then was ported to the NEC PC-88 a year later. The original Thunder Force focused on top-down action that scrolled in eight directions, uh, rather than a fixed scrolling uh, direction, and you have certain objectives that you had to complete within the game, such as bombing out a, a specific base or a series of bases in order to destroy uh, certain enemy strongholds before you could move on to the next stage. Now, if anybody decides to want to take a look at the first Thunder Force game, for, be forewarned, if you do pop it up on YouTube, you're going to be hearing a lot of the William Tell Overture. In fact, you're going to be hearing it repeated on loop for the entire playthrough. So make sure to at least mute it before you get started. Yeah, or, uh, you know, check it out for a few seconds and, uh, and then mute it. <laughs> uh, Thunder Force 2 was released in 1988 for the Sharp X68000 home computer and then was ported to the Sega Mega Drive and Genesis a little less than a year later. It took the overhead stages from the first game and then combined those with side-scrolling uh, levels that featured fast action and hazards like walls and obstacles that your ship could run into. And so the overhead levels were always the odd numbers and then the side-scrolling levels were the even-numbered stages so they would intersperse. Now in 1990 uh, they followed that up again with Thunder Force 3 and they solidified the formula with only the side-scrolling stages, ditching the overhead stages, and uh, just going with a horizontal scrolling shoot-em-up formula. Then Thunder Force 4 was released for the Mega Drive in Japan in 1992, and then was published in North America by Sega themselves rather than, than Technosoft, and was the name was changed to Lightning Force. Um, a bit of a strange spelling for the game. Uh, there's been some speculation about that over the years as to why uh, that is. Um, and I know there was some discussion on the Shmups forums and different places. I don't know the specific details. I think 
if I remember correctly that I read somewhere, the reason that it was changed from Thunder Force is because Technosoft, Sega had published Thunder Force 2 for the Genesis. Then Technosoft elected to publish Thunder Force 3 themselves in North America. So I think probably because Technosoft still had the rights to the name Thunder Force at that point, that's probably why Sega had to change it. Now, why they went with Lightning instead of Lightning is anybody's guess. And there are a couple of theories that we can that we can go into. But uh, the subtitle of the game is Quest for the Dark Star. Uh, now, one curious thing is when the game was released later on in PAL territories, uh, it was it both returned to the Thunder Force 4 name and then was also better optimized. So by the time the PAL version was released, it actually ran better than both the Japanese and North American versions. Um, and so the PAL version doesn't have the the slowdown that the other versions that the other versions have. Uh, now Technosoft revisited their uh, their Thunder Force games on the Sega Saturn by putting out a couple of exclusive releases, uh, the Thunder Force Gold Packs. And Thunder Force Gold Pack 1 had Thunder Force 2 and 3, and then Thunder Force Gold Pack 2 had Thunder Force AC, which was an arcade port of Thunder Force 3 that had some changes to it, and Thunder Force 4. And the, the port of Thunder Force 4 that is on the Gold Pack 2 is interesting because not only does it is is it the optimized version that doesn't have any of the slowdown, much like the PAL version, but they also added a new mode where you could play as the Fire Leo 03 Styx ship, which was from Thunder Force 3, including all of the weaponry from that game. Yeah. Now, with a real quick aside here, with the Thunder Force AC, which itself, as was previously mentioned, was the port of Thunder Force 3, or arcade port of Thunder Force 3, the Thunder Force AC was actually ported to the Super Nintendo under the title Thunder Spirits. Yeah. So it's sort of like this copy of a copy of a copy. It's an interesting look at it if you have a Super Nintendo... But in my opinion, and I like Thunder Force AC, but in my opinion, I really like Thunder Force 3, the original, on the Mega Drive best. Yeah, I, the original is still superior, but uh, Thunder Spirits is definitely uh, an interesting take on it. Uh, now, uh, Technosoft did do one more game in the Thunder Force series, Thunder Force 5. They released that on the Sega Saturn in 1997, and then that was ported to the PlayStation a year later and was brought to America by Working Designs as Thunder Force 5 Perfect System. It's the final official game from Technosoft in the series, and one of the last shoot-em-ups that they would end up developing. Uh, a couple of other notable Technosoft games are uh, the early real-time strategy games Herzog, and then the sequel, which came out on the Mega Drive and Genesis, uh, Herzog's Vi, uh, Dragon's Fury, which was a uh, Mega Drive and Genesis sequel to Devil's Crush on the PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16. 
and then Elemental Master, uh, which was a vertical scrolling shoot 'em up, but instead of a ship or a craft of some kind, you actually walk around with a human protagonist who uses magic. Uh, and so, rather than all the high tech space themes and so that sort of thing, of I think all their other shooters, um, this is uh, a lot more uh, down to earth, if you'll pardon the pun. Uh, one, one quick aside I want to add on there is that Thunder Force 6 did come out on the PS2. However, it was not developed by Technosoft. So we'll get to that one at a later date. Yeah, yeah, because uh, by that point, Technosoft was defunct and Sega owned the IP, I think. Correct. Sega still owns the IPs. That's right. And we will talk about that as well. All right. <clears throat> Let's start off with a little bit of the story for this game. I'm going to take it from the North American manual for this one. In the galactic standard year of 980, the Lohan Empire declared war on the United Federation of Galaxies, otherwise known as the Galaxy Federation. After a long struggle against the Lohan Empire, two extraordinary pilots in the legendary Stux Fighter, sorry, Stix Fighter, managed to destroy the Lohan control ship and stop the Empire in its tracks. The Lohan Empire's main computer system, supposedly destroyed in the battle, was actually only damaged. The still-functioning mainframe data was retrieved by one of Lohan's allies, the Chaos Legion, and is being rebuilt on the planet Vios. Should the information in the computer be analyzed, it may show weak points in the Galaxy Federation's defenses. If this happens, the Lohan Empire and the Chaos Legion will certainly move against the Galactic Federation again. You have been chosen to lead the battle against a force protecting the Lohan computer mainframe data in a desperate attempt to save the Federation from destruction. You can't fail. Now, just to quickly reiterate on here, this the stories on here are absolutely ludicrous, but they give us enough to get going. Right. And, and a couple of interesting points. Uh, you corrected yourself in there when you said the Stux Fighter, and then you said, no, Stix Fighter. But it's it, it actually says Stux, S-T-U-K-K-S, in the manual. Um, but I think... That's probably a translation error because, of course, the ship from Thunder Force 3 is known as the Fire Leo 3 Sticks. So I'm guessing that was a translation error. I would say that you're right on that. You know, just like with the, uh, I believe the famous translation error with the Var, was it Varia suit in the original Metroid? Oh, right. Something similar to that. You know, the, hey, with a game that's called Lightning Force. <laughs> typos are, are typos or mistranslations are par for the game. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing is think about the think about the the plot. The uh, the main computer system was was dis- uh, well, you know, the, should the information in the computer be analyzed, it may show weak points in the Galaxy Federation's defenses. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound a little bit like Star Wars? Sounds a lot like a lot of BS to me, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it sounds like uh, you know the Death Star plans are not in the main computer. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of funny that uh, that uh, it sort of goes back to that. You know, you know, have you finished Thunder Force Three and read the the ending story on that? I have not. Okay, with Thunder Force Three in the end of the story, it talks about how it's a computer that. The the uh, 
when we, similar to Voyager when it's on a probe and it takes a story from Star Trek the motion picture it gets somehow this space ace or uh, space ace computer gains sentience and is now coming back on who am I why was I built oh I found that humans are the enemy I must destroy them oh. it's much along those lines so they're now talking about <clears throat> okay so they've got the remnants of the ship and we with a mainframe, it's core, and it's got to be analyzed so we can figure out what's going on. But it's it's pulling from all areas of sci-fi on here. Yeah. Which 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 you know, hey, I mean, look at Hodea Kojima, Hideo Kojima's work, and look how many movies he pulled from on here. You know, Lethal Weapon, he and uh, Blade Runner. There, everyone just builds upon each other, and that's how you get inspiration. And it does this serviceable job of getting you from point A to point B in order to. Go kick some butt. Oh, yeah. Well, we, you know, those of us who enjoy shmups, we love us a few good tropes. Oh, and they're certainly full of it in this one. But this one, I have to say, for anyone who hasn't played Thunder Force 3, Thunder Force 3 is where it really started coming to its own, and people are like, this is quality, this is good stuff. You know, I, I would say that, like, like I can't, if I were to draw a weird parallel here, I would say Thunder Force would be like... Ram- Rambo First Blood. It's the original Thunder Force. It's a good start. You can start start to see some glimpses of, okay, this is some good stuff. But by the time you start getting into the sequels and fleshing out, that's when you get to Thunder Force 3, 2 and 3, and you're going, okay, this is starting to be really good. And then Thunder Force 4 is the culmination of everything they've learned. And they give you the best music, the best graphics, everything that that makes this a great game and everything that they've learned is brought together and really well done. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So in this game, you pilot the Fire Leo 04 Rhinex, which is an upgrade from, as I said before, Thunder Force 3's Fire Leo 03 Styx ship. Uh, now, this part isn't mentioned in the North American manual for some reason. Uh, but the Rhinex is the most well-known ship in the Thunder Force series, uh, or Thunder Force canon, because uh, it was also reused in both Thunder Force 5 and 6. Yep, and Thunder Force 5, the, the entire reason that game exists is the Rhinex ship gets crash lands on Earth, and they have a computer, this mainframe, hence the computer again, this large mainframe computer analyze it, and as it's analyzing, it goes rogue. So we're sort of back to the plot of Thunder Force 3 in some ways. Yeah. But that's that's the entire plot of Thunder Force 4. And the computer reprograms the, the Rhinex in order to fight you, and that's why it becomes a boss in Thunder Force 5. Yeah. Uh, there are three action buttons on uh, the standard Sega Genesis pad. Button A changes your ship's speed, and... A single button press will increase your speed in increments of 25%, but if you hold the A button down, the speed will change more granularly um, so that you can uh, kind of adjust it a little bit more to your liking. Uh, the B button fires your weapon, and of course, auto fire is available on all weapons, um, or most all weapons. And after stage five, you use the B button to fire the Thunder Sword when it's charged up, which we will discuss when we get more detailed into weapons. The C button is for selecting weapons, 
and it kind of just cycles through them from left to right until you get to the end of the list, and then it will jump back to the first weapon in the list. Uh, and one notable thing about the game is when the game is paused, you can adjust your speed and select a weapon. So that's a nice touch uh, in the game there. Speaking of the button layout and stuff, and here, did you always stick with the default speed, which seems to be at 50%? Did you go 75 or did you go full shmup and hit 100%? Um, you know, I, I like to go 75% as my default. Um, there are times when I switch to 100 in order to get speed. Um, for example, on one of the bosses, I went, I went to 100% just because I wanted to be able to quickly evade attacks and things like that. Uh, there was a couple of areas in the game that are a bit more claustrophobic, and there's a lot more chance that you're going to run into walls or obstacles. Uh, and, and then a couple of boss fights, too, where you're a little bit more enclosed. So I changed it to 50% just to make sure that I was not not at, at as much a risk of running into walls, basically. Makes sense. I decided to go for 100% and just left it sitting there for the majority of my playthrough so I could just focus on making a two-button game from there. Just worry about shots from the front, shots from the back, and then just adjust to my speed. And for those of you who haven't played it yet, this game is a lot faster than your normal shmup. It makes Gradius feel like you're rolling through the skies. Yeah, Gr Gradius, the speed of Gradius feels like a Sunday a Sunday afternoon drive in the park uh, compared to um, Thunder Force 4's high-speed uh, Talladega run or something like that. The lightning speed? The lightning speed, exactly. <laughs> uh, All right, well, uh, as we're flying through at lightning speed here, let's take a quick look at the first four stages of the game. You can start us off, please. Yeah, so uh, according to the manual, um, the first stage is Strite. And uh, you'll fly over and into the Strite Sea on planet Vios to begin the assault on the Chaos forces and catch the enemy off guard. You'll also face off with the Gargoyle Diver at the end of the level. Yeah. Now, I personally use this as my starting stage every single time. There, if I was a good introduction and had a nice flow, with the exception of Maniac, where things were just popping out left and right. Uh, sorry, that's Maniac difficulty. But on normal difficulty, it was a good start on there. It wasn't nothing was too hard as long as you could quickly learn the patterns, or you can grab a one-up right after the mid-boss of the stage. The, the only thing that seemed a little bit off to me in the stage was. The little uh, sea dragon or whatever that thing is that goes through and just goes in a par or, uh, parabolic arc a couple of times. That guy looked like he was just out for a swim. Everybody else is looking out to destroy you. Oh, yeah, the the blue sort of snake with a humanoid face on it. Yeah, it just like he's like, like, oh, excuse me, excuse me, I'm just surfing here. Yeah. And everybody else is shooting bullets at you. Yeah, it's really random. You know, it didn't it didn't phase me as a kid when I was playing this game, but going back and playing it as an adult, it just seems so bizarre that they would throw that in. I mean, it's an impressive 
uh, it's an impressive thing. And of course, if you run into it, you die. But yeah, it's just really bizarre. Um, but straight is a good first stage for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, the boss in the stage is not super challenging compared to some of the bosses, but plenty challenge so that you kind of get a feel for the game. Also, it's a good illustration of the differences between Thunder Force 4 and Lightning Force because there are differences. Uh, Thunder Force uh, 4, the original Japanese version, has, I think, slightly more aggressive enemy AI in a lot of instances. And if, in the case of the Gargoyle Diver specifically, um, one thing with his attack is... You're referring to the, the orb, the, the orb that traces you. That is really quick and comes at you with a lot of tenacity in the Thunder Force 4. Or with the, it's a little bit more lackadaisical with the lightning force. It's very much easier to dodge. Yes, and in Thunder Force 4, not only does it come at you faster, but it also moves a greater distance. So instead of kind of letting it come at you and then moving out of the way, and then it kind of goes back to its spot, you basically have to, when it starts shooting out at you, kind of make a circle around it and then move out of the way so that it can shoot back into the kind of abdomen region of the gargoyle diver. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 more aggressive and um, more difficult to dodge in the Japanese version. And I don't know if that carried over to the the uh, European release, the PAL release, if they went back to the more difficult Japanese uh, layout or not, but. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting change, nonetheless. And the other thing that should be noted on here is that they give you the some of the power-ups they give you, such as the blade weapon on this, is really hard to hit. The weak point on the gargoyle diver with I ended up going with the three-way most of the time in order to really pound away at the gargoyle diver's weak point pretty quickly. Right, and that's one of the interesting things that uh, also is notable that we can mention here is that when you go about halfway through the stage you move underwater and if you move down to the bottom right corner of the screen just after the screen starts moving there's a hidden power up there and it's the freeway weapon which is sort of like a five-way missile volley thing that shoots out and if you can get that and then manage to survive until you get to the boss um, <clears throat> that that's the weapon you want to use because it's 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 more powerful than the forward gun uh, portion of either the back shot or the rail gun, uh, and so you'll take out that boss a lot quicker and have to deal a lot less with um, all of his attack pattern. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more powerful than the default twin shot. So. You want to make sure you grab it. I believe, am I thinking there, it's in the bottom left as you start right. You get it right before the one-up after the mid-boss, right? That's at the bottom right. So you, if you move down to the bottom right, then once your ship starts moving or the screen starts scrolling to the right, then uh, you'll get that freeway, and then you'll want to yep. move up right away to get the one-up. The one-up, yeah. It's, it's like right before the one-up, yep. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us about Dazer? All right. Dazer takes place the fight to the desert planet of Vios. In the desert planet of Vios, you're going to be fighting a lot of tanks 
lot of oh, glider type enemies on there. Then you, at the very end, you're going to face Fomalhot, the area's boss, which to me looks like a raven on there, but it's definitely one of the more difficult stages and bosses within the first four stages. Yeah, especially if you play it on hard difficulty. But even on normal difficulty, there are quite a, a few enemies and groups of enemies that come at you. Uh, there are these ships that fly in, and once they're lined up with you horizontally, they'll shoot out these big red laser blasts. And those move relatively quickly across the screen. So you have to make sure to either destroy them as they're coming on screen, or get out of the way because those lasers will decimate you. And uh, there's two of them in, in the stage, and they look like little flies. They just sit there until you get close to them, and then they'll quickly either move up or move down, depending upon which way you're going. Those will definitely trip up people who haven't played the game before. Yeah, and they're also very spongy. They take a lot of firepower to take them down. And then there's the, the mid-boss on here definitely will take some people by surprise where it shoots out the orbs. Yes, the stupid blue snake. Yeah, that, that thing will hit it. And if you're quick enough to defeat that mid-boss, you can move up to the the point where you can see the tops of the dunes. There'll be a, a little carrier that you can grab a one-up for. Oh, yes. I wish I, I, wish I could say one-up like the... Uh, Game does <laughs> like the game one up one up and one of the other things that I believe you can get this level out to double check is is a craw yeah there's uh there's at least one claw on uh, on every of the first four stages you definitely want to get the craw and we'll go into a little bit more detail but it, the craw can actually craw or claw can actually eat enemy bullets right it's one of the, and it's very helpful for doing doing that, especially when you get the slowdown mixed in. But we'll we'll get into that in a moment. Dealing with Dazer and and a whole, this is one. Of, this was the first time where I had to stop and actually focus and start really learning the patterns of what was going on in this stage, especially when it came to the boss. Is on there, watching the ears for tells that it was going to fire the missiles on there, or if you're those little or circling orbs that chase you. That's not as tenacious as the gargoyle diver's orb, but you certainly have to watch out for that. Yeah, those missiles take out. Now, one of the best things you can do this stage is if you do the ruin stage beforehand and get the chaser. That will make this stage a lot easier and really make short work of this boss on this stage. Yes. Speaking of Ruin, in this stage, you take back a former Galactic Federation outpost from the Chaos Legion, and you pit the Rhinex against the Hellarm boss to take it down. Ruin is... The easiest stage in the game. I would say on normal, you're probably right. In hard difficulty, not so much. But yeah, on normal difficulty, it's probably the easiest of the, of the first uh, four stages. And the boss on the boss on normal is a joke. It, it just charges, but we'll get to inside. This stage, as long as you're sort of staying in the middle, and you're not being trapped in between a building or what's left left of the base in an enemy, you'll be pretty well suited in this case. There's a couple places where it could trip you up with the NMP 
is that start cloning themselves and going in specific pattern to try and get to you. Those can be a little bit difficult to deal with if you're going to be if you get sort of stuck between that and then you instantly go to the Zubrush, which or the little popcorn enemies that stay in the background and then pop in the foreground and fire missiles at you. Yeah. That can be a little difficult. Then you have the enemies with shields. <laughs> that can sometimes be a little difficult to deal with. But all in all, at least for me, I had a pretty easy time with this stage. As long as you stayed in the middle, you're able to get most power-ups. The boss of this stage, if you start doing it on a harder difficulties, surprised me by several times. Is in the normal difficulty, it will just basically fire a couple of shots and then charge at you, leaving itself open to do whatever you need to. But in the harder difficulties, I'm not sure if this happened to you, but but it, it started tracking me more aggressively and would fire shots at me, trying trying to trap me into one area. Yep, definitely. And. Uh... Just back, you backtracking slightly to talk about those self-replicating enemies. In the hard difficulty, those things, not only do they get more aggressive and they replicate faster, but they also shoot bullets at you. So you really don't want to get caught anywhere near them because they, they're just very aggressive on hard difficulty. And uh, especially if there's more than one in an area, they'll start replicating kind of over top of each other and overlap and you'll get boxed in really quickly. Definitely something to watch out for. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add in for Ruin? Nope. Uh, all right, let's move on to one of the easier stages in my opinion and something that if you grab the Seeker from Ruin can really make this an, an easy go is Air Raid. Against the backdrop of Chaos fleet vessels, you fight against several of these craft alongside hordes of small enemies, all bent on your demise. After speeding past the edge of the fleet, you'll encounter Rat Carry in its multi-phased attack. Yeah, and it's funny that the boss is called Rat Carry. It's spelled R-A-T-T, like the band Rat. So, um, I'm wondering if... The reason that it attacks you at the end of the level is just a lack of communication. <laughs> I do. I don't know. <laughs> uh. This stage, for the most part, especially again if you have the secret weapon, is a walk in the park. But it, it adds enough that it doesn't feel. I, I guess you could call it a little bit of a breather stage. It doesn't feel as hard as the previous stages. And it's something where as long, if you're not going too fast, you can easily navigate your way through the maze of ships. Right. And that's one of the things that this level does that none of the other levels do, is that halfway through the level, or uh, probably a little bit more than halfway through the level, there's a speed trap where... All of a sudden, the game starts to go really fast, and um, you have to dodge these incoming ships with, um, you know, as quickly as you can while also shooting oncoming smaller ships. The one thing to note is there's always a shield power up in the air raid level, and so if you can manage to get to the speed trap with your shield intact, it helps. You know, especially if you're playing and learning the stage layout and all of that, to know the the position of where those of those big ships are going to be, 
so that you can you know move up or down accordingly uh, and so that really helps to make that part a little bit more manageable I, I generally don't like speed traps in shoot 'em up games um, but because you have the option of the shield it, it makes it a lot more bearable yeah. those of you who have been with us previously on Steel Empire will remember on the second stage with the escape from the mine sequence it plays very similar to that. Yeah. Now, one thing to note is at the very tail end of this, on the upper path of the speed trap, is a one-up. You have to be yes. pretty quick, but you can. But it, once you figure out how to get it, it's pretty easy to keep getting it consistently. Yes, and the rat carry the boss is probably the easiest boss in the game. The only caveat to that being you may or may not realize that, you know, if you're fighting the boss, it may seem like it's taking a long time to go down. But one thing with the, the rat carry boss is it has to be done in sequence. Uh, there's this, it's this weird ship, spaceship thing, and it's got this giant cannon on the front that shoots these weird ring lasers at you and of course those will block your shots those ring lasers so what you have to do is kind of get to where you're lined up with the front of the ship and kind of pelting it with um, uh, a good weapon uh, but you have to destroy that front cannon before you can then go onto the back side of the ship and shoot at it from behind with your rail gun or the freeway or something like that and take out that cannon. Once you knock the cannon off, then there's this vulnerable kind of cockpit thing that shows up at the front of the ship that you can then destroy and fire at until you take it down. And so that that's the one uh, kind of salient point with this boss is it's an easy boss. It just, if you don't get the sequence of events right, it may seem like the boss fight is taking forever, but it's really that you have to take out that first cannon up front and then you have to take out the missile launcher from behind then you get to kind of the meat or the core of that boss that you can finally take down but this is this is one of those examples where the stage leading up to that boss especially if you don't have the hunter or you don't pick up the shield the stage itself is actually more difficult than the boss I would say Oh, I would definitely agree on it. Now, take, now that we've discussed the first four stages, I started off by going with Strite, then went with Ruin, and then went to Air Raid, and then finally Dazer. Is that the order you went, or what order did you go with? My order is Strite, Ruin, Dazer, Air Raid. I, I take Strite first uh, because... It's a good way to kind of ease yourself in. It's not overly difficult. The boss fight isn't isn't too insane, and so it's a kind of a nice location to sort of get a rhythm and uh, kind of get a feel for the game when you're sitting down to play it. Ruin next because a you get the hunter weapon. B uh, at least on normal and easy difficulties, the stage is not overly hard, uh, so it can you can kind of get through it and uh, get a feel for it. Then I do Dazer because I wanna I wanna ramp up the challenge a little bit and 
you know, kind of get the blood pl- pumping, so to speak. And I also want to make sure that I can take out that that gargoyle diver boss. I don't want to leave him for last. Uh, and then I do air raid because, like you say, if as long as I keep my hunter and then I get the shield there in that level, it's a little bit of a nice breather, especially with that easy boss before you kind of go into the later levels. Sounds good. I mean, that's one thing that I really like about this is everybody's got their own way of going about this, and it's all valid. It's really just a matter of personal choice. It's sort of like, I mean, in some ways, you can get this with something similar like the Mega Man games, but the Mega Man games, they have a, each boss has a weakness that you have to prepare for. You get a little bit of that here, but the free the freedom of choice is great in this game. It's something that I wish we could add into some more shmups. Oh yeah, absolutely. Moving on, once you once you get through the first four stages, then the rest of the game is fully scripted in the sense that the rest of the label the levels play out in a specific order, and uh, it's all in sequence. And so, stage five is the space cruiser. Uh, so after taking out planetary defenses, you set your sights on the Chaos Space Cruiser. You destroy missile launchers, thrusters, turrets, and other defenses to finally take out this ship um, that you see earlier in the game in the strike stage. Uh, and then you'll also rendezvous with Galactic Federation forces after that battle, and then the Rhinex gets retrofitted with an upgrade. The Mighty Thundersword. You mean the Mighty Mohawk. <laughs> yeah. So when you get the when you get the upgrade, it's it's cool because you get a pair of sticks ships that kind of come in and there's this sort of tractor beam thing that shoots through your ship and they line you up and then another sticks ship comes up from over top of you and drops down this it looks like a like a scoop or an air vent on you know, a classic car or whatever you would see on the hood, the big scoop, air scoop and that. But yeah, it does sort of look like a mohawk from the side if you're looking at the the top of the ship. And then your fighter will shoot an oncoming orange power-up ship and you will receive an upgrade to the claw. So you always start out level 5 with the claw, but instead of the, uh, the regular claw that you would see earlier in the game, these are these new kind of orbs. And we'll get into more of that a little bit later when we talk about the, the weapons more specifically. Stage 5 was the first stage. I mean, the, the, the previous stages were pretty impressive, but stage 5 is the first one that me go, wow, the Genesis can do this. I'm really impressed with looking at the stage. Because you have the backdrop of the starfield, you have this huge <clears throat> spaceship that you're shooting, and other ships are flying in, stuff is going off everywhere. It really feel, makes you feel like you're in the part of a large battle. Yeah, one of the cool things about this level is once you've destroyed the thrusters on the backside of the, of the cruiser and you've taken out the first sort of large enemy that comes at you and tries to take you out, then as you're approaching the ship, you'll get a, a whole cadre of Styx vessels will come in behind you, and they'll sort of move up and down on the screen in this sort of interesting wave, and and uh, they'll all shoot at this, this battle cruiser kind of as you're going over top of it, taking out all of its defenses. So it's a really cool effect and um, very impressive, as you say. 
Yeah, speaking of taking the battle cruiser, I've been u using the snake to make sure I hit everything. There be is with your regular shot, and even with the hunter on here, it's pretty hard to actually hit the defenses of the battle cruiser itself. Is that what you used? I kind of do a little combination. I I like to use the blade. I'll kind of get down in close and take out the some of the first missile pods that are at the back of the ship. And then there's that uh, hatch that opens up that throws out an orb. And if you let the orb get out and go too far, he'll shoot out a full volley of lasers in uh, like 16 directions or whatever. And it's it gets difficult to dodge. And so you want to make sure that you get down close to where that hatch is so that as soon as the orb comes out, you can destroy it and blow the hatch. And then a lot of times I'll switch to the snake and move my ship up further so then it can the explosions can crawl the ground and and uh, take out cannons and stuff uh, laser cannons but yeah I, I I tend to do a combination sometimes I'll switch to freeway uh, so that I can aim the missiles downward and stage five really hits it off with the lasers on there's that the mid boss comes in pretty quickly but once you defeat the mid boss or I should say the mid-bosses starts firing off a bunch of lasers on itself on there. They, they come out uh, almost in like a parabolic sun pattern when they shoot out. Yeah, it's it's uh, an interesting sort of five-way volley. Yeah. And, uh, the whole state was pretty impressive, but once you defeat the the defenses of the ship itself, out comes... If sort of feel like it's a big bad or something, they come this huge robot that they everything starts attacking... Yeah. And it looks like it's trying to say something because its lips keep moving mm. during that thing, but n nothing. Uh, it's not like there's any subtext where it goes, we've captured all, all of this stuff out of the computer, -ha -ha -ha, or anything like that. It's just, it's just <laughs> definitely, it, it looks sort of interesting, but it's the only part that, that stands out to me as just being a little bit weird out of the entire thing. A little bit out of place. It's it's like you're expecting the, like this. Here comes the big bad villain, and it's gonna he's gonna start or or it's gonna start monologuing or something or something's gonna happen, and it just it sits there taking some punishment for a moment and then leaves. Yeah, well, and that's the interesting thing is that sentry ship is indestructible, uh, and yes. so it's 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 a little bit of a. A little bit of a bait and switch that the game pulls on you there because right after that fight, after he shoots out all those lasers and destroys all the Styx vessels that are helping you and then just kind of flies off, then right after that is when you get that upgrade to the claw. So it makes you think, oh, well, maybe if I face this guy again, I can use the Thunder Sword to take him out. But you'll find out later in the game when you see him again that that's not the case. Yeah, I could have just used maybe a little bit of exposition or or something pretty cool, something that that would give you a little bit of an idea. I don't know. Maybe I was hoping for an all your base belong to us moment. <laughs> uh. So oh, you end up getting the mohawk, also known as the thunder sword, and you start getting your claw or claw weapon which starts you out for stage six. You ready to move on to stage six, or you want anything you want to talk about in stage five? I'm ready. All right, stage six is Volbados, also known as the planet of discarded Darius enemies. <laughs> Feels like that. 
definitely does. Volbados is in the northern sea of Vios, and it's cold as a reception you're going to get. The body of water is complete with biomechanical marine life, all of which is programmed to destroy you. The Spark Lancer at the end of the stage will test your flying metal. Now this sta this stage to me is pretty cool. I, I like the fact that you <clears throat> were flying through uh, sort of like Arctic waters and stuff in there. And there was definitely a lot to watch out for. If you still have your hunter weapon, it makes the stage almost trivial, at least on normal. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd say it's trivial, but it certainly it certainly makes it easier to uh, to dodge stuff. I, I tended not to use the hunter on that stage, um, but that's because I wanted a little bit more direct control over stuff. Because hunter doesn't always seek out stuff in an order that I think is is best. <laughs> so sometimes I feel like uh, I'm, I'm a little bit too. Uh, close to the edge with uh, enemy encounters if I'm relying just on the hunter. Um, but yeah, you kind of alluded to this before, but this stage does sort of channel uh, some of that uh, Darius uh, kind of vibe with uh, robot fish and, and uh, you know, biomechanical sea life, so to speak. And um, it's pretty cool designs and interesting... Uh, interesting um yeah just a really interesting uh, level it definitely the aesthetics in this level were different than what i was expecting but really well done i ended up taking the top even though it's supposedly the harder route and i just focused on that that seemed easier for me to get through the only part where it was a little bit difficult is that little squeeze you have to do through to get the one up oh right yeah, uh, and it helps if you go the top path on normal, at least, uh, and get the shield up there. Unfortunately, on hard difficulty, there's no shield. <laughs> so if you try to take that path, uh, you may be um, rather disappointed because that little help is not there. The one thing that I found different about this stage versus any other is the mid-boss, to me at least, was harder than the end-of-stage boss. Yeah... <laughs> The end of stage boss is, it's not super difficult, but it's definitely still challenging. I think the the reason that the mid-boss, um, or it's more of a pre-boss, boss encounter, if you will, uh, is challenging is because he's got these orb things that, that uh, or these, I don't know what you call them, these things that kind of spin around him and move out and, and in. and He's surrounded in ice cubes. Yeah, it's kind of like that. But he will constantly move toward you when he's on screen, and you have to destroy him multiple times uh, before you'll take him out. And he will try to box you in, uh, and so you really have to take him out quickly. And and the nice thing is there's an opportunity to get a claw there if, for some reason, you have lost it up to that point. Uh, and the claw is very important for the final boss, because if you don't have it, or especially if you don't have the blade weapon on the final boss, um, you're going to have a hard time, because it takes a lot of punishment. And the the boss in level 6, the, um, the Spark Lancer, you have to destroy its 
it's like this weird thing where there's three segments of this boss and they're kind of held together toward the back by this these arm things and you have to destroy the upper and lower segment yeah it's like a, a horizontal trident kind of yeah it is much like a trident and so you have to destroy the outside tines so to speak then focus your fire on the center one and then after you do that you get a little bit of a once again a little bit of a bait and switch it makes you think that you've destroyed it but then it has one last attack pattern that it'll throw at you and so you have to just keep keep shooting at it keep shooting at it until you get just a a complete array of explosions all over the place yeah you get that knockout blow yeah the idea definitely if you can get it the thunderstorm sorry the lightning's or sorry thunder sword really wrecks this boss quickly yeah that that's definitely the most effective way to fight against it anything else on this stage you want to talk about at least on normal difficulty i liked it and i found it a little bit more of a relaxing stage compared to some of the stuff that's coming up especially when we're dealing with stage eight but we we've got to get to stage seven first here yeah well Go play stage six on hard difficulty, and then then tell me how much you, <laughs> how relaxing you think it is. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's not an afternoon stroll. So stage seven is uh, known as Desvio. Uh, so watch yourself as you fly through the precarious lava rock formations of Desvio. The caves are a dangerous area to be, and you'll be accosted left and right by all manner of technological terrors, not the least of which is the mechanical armadillo at the end, the dust egg. Oh, that was supposed to be a mechanical... I thought it was a worm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of a... It's like a... It's like an armadillo on a weird sort of mechanical arm thing. That's what it looked like to me, at least. Fair enough. It it's definitely looks weird. It, there's no way of describing I guess a worm might be a little bit on there, but we'll get to that in a moment. If the stage six was your ice level, this is your fire level. Yeah, there's lots of cool lava parallax going on in the background. Um, it's not quite as impressive as the wavy lava effect in Thunder Force 3, but it's still really cool because the lava effect and the parallax... Then with the stuff that's more in the foreground, all the rock formations that you have to fly around and not run into, uh, makes it more impressive. Yeah, the craw does a great job of taking out those rock formations if you got it. Yeah, and this stage is very claustrophobic. Um, There are a few open areas here, but uh, by and large, there's a lot of scenery that you can run into and certainly a lot of of enemies that if you don't destroy them quickly will make you want to move and uh move into a uh you know a rock or something like that yeah they really do a good job here of having enemies that try and box you in one of the biggest troubles i ran into was the enemy that was just like a bunch of blocks in an l shape but it constantly would shift and then fire shift and then fire and it's always putting up this wall in front of you this constantly moving wall oh yeah yeah there's these weird the weird thing where the the sides of that enemies will be attracted to your your claw and so 
they'll essentially attach themselves to the claw, and as they're spinning around you, they'll block some of your fire. And so your weapons are not as effective. Now you can move up alongside some rock or one of the you know one of the rock formations and destroy those things faster so that you can get them out of your way but they're a nuisance for sure one of the other interesting things is there are a lot of these little bubbles uh, scattered around different parts of the level and you you run into them and you will die so you have to shoot them down but the hunter weapon is not effective against them. It will go right through them. So you have to use one of the other weapons, like the blade or the freeway or the railgun, in order to take them out. So you you can't just rely on the hunter in this stage for sure. Yeah, th- this is where I really was thankful for having the crawl or the claw, and they're just eating those bubbles. That I believe I use blade for most of this to get these bubbles out of the way. Yeah, and the mid-boss is this really annoying robot snake that shoots these lasers at you at high speed uh, and then will also do a short volley of missiles when it kind of stops to sort of pause and, uh, um, you know, take a breath, so to speak. And the easiest way to take it out is to get it with a couple solid blasts of the Thunder Sword, but it doesn't always move to where you can get in front of it and actually shoot it with that. Um, so it's not always as easy to take out. Yeah, definitely trickier than the previous stage. There, But after some memorization and some practice, definitely doable. We're going back to the infamous armadillo here, or the worm on here. This boss, it's not difficult, but it's... It, if the first time, a couple times you face it, the attack patterns are hard to get down, at least in my opinion. <clears throat> it, t- it took me a, a little, little bit to get used to. It, basically, it extends out its arm or its head and constantly trying to either slam up or slam down on you, so you really have to be on the move. And then later, with its second attack pattern where it fires out these missiles or shot, I should say like laser shots at an arc. You have to quickly dodge those and shoot around. Quickly dodge those and shoot around it. Yeah, the 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 big trick to this stage or to this boss fight is always stay at the back of the screen, the the far left side of the screen. When the boss goes down to slam down on the ground, uh, as long as you're on the, all the way on the left side of the screen, he can't touch you. If you move forward even just a little bit, he'll slam into you and you'll die. Um, but as long as you're all the way to the back, he can't hit you, uh, at least when he comes down to, uh, to try and attack. Um, but the volley of the little blue missiles that he shoots out, they're not entirely heat-seeking, but they're sort of heat-seeking missiles. Um, so what I, what I found myself doing is, this is the boss that I mentioned before that I, I used 50% speed for because you're boxed in to where there's rock over top of you and then down toward about the bottom third of the screen is sort of a, a hill of rock. And so you've got a small window of space in there to maneuver. And so what I ended up doing is kind of going constantly up and down 
uh, so that I can go up to shoot right directly in his head, where is his weak point, and then down so that I can make sure that I'm taking out those missiles as they're coming out and, you know, kind of going back up and forth and, and that sort of thing. And so uh, at least I, I don't like to use Hunter on this boss because if he gets me with a stray fireball, because that's one of his other attacks is he'll he'll do this thing where he'll shoot out either a spread of three fireballs that kind of all shoot out and in kind of a downward uh, angle or he'll do a thing where he'll shoot two fireballs out that are more heat seeking like the missiles so if he ends up getting you with that other type of fireball attack uh, and you don't have a shield and he takes you out you don't have your hunter for stage 8 which is important so I tend to use either the blade or the freeway on this level or on this boss fight and um, like I said just kind of go up and down and take out the missiles and then try to pelt his head as much as I can yeah I ended up using the blade most of the time as well I love STG Weekly's description of this boss of for him as the party worm <laughs> he, <laughs> he would Constantly try and raise the roof by sl- slamming up and slamming down. Yeah. Well, and the other interesting thing is, when you first get to this boss, he's just on the ground crawling back and forth, and he'll shoot out these big volleys of little turrets and cannons and bubbles and things at you, and what you have to do is shoot him in the head a whole bunch to where he eventually comes out and then you know, stands up all the way or whatever with his weird mechanical arm thing. Uh, and that's where you get the attack patterns that we were just talking about. Yeah, and the other thing that seemed a little bit weird is what the, well, after you defeat this boss, it, he starts dying, you see explosions, all of a sudden you get a bunch of bubbles. It's like, uh, okay, so this thing is bleeding a lot and there's bubbles coming up. It's like, is this a piñata? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a bunch of lava bubbles or something. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit weird for animation for that, but hey, what the heck? You know, it, it's a shmup. It can, if you are fighting flying unicorns, no one would bat an eye. Yeah, that's true. Or or I should say, flying a flying pancake, no one would bat an eye. Ah, uh, yes. <clears throat> All right, moving on to, and I'm going to leave this one for you. But next, we have one of them. Best levels I have ever played in a shmup. Also one of the hardest. Yeah, uh, wow. Biobase. Uh, so after the caves, you enter the biobase. Um, this area is teeming with laser-toting spiders and a host of mini-bosses that will challenge you greatly. Should you reach the far end of the area, you'll come up against the evil core. Uh, now stage 8 is probably the most difficult stage in the game, I would say. Um, the tiny little spider things shoot out these lasers and when you get three or four of those on the screen and you get a whole bunch of these lasers going they become very difficult to dodge that is the only uh kind of standard enemy throughout the level otherwise you get a series of four mini bosses Uh, so instead of a standard mid boss kind of conflict you get four of them. The first one is this giant purple orb that comes out and will open up to reveal this sort of blue and orange core thing. And you have a very short window to fire at it before it fires at you. And then it will close back up and bounce around the screen. 
if you use a thunder sword, you can make pretty short work out of it. I mean, that, that goes without saying, I guess, but it's definitely a preferred strategy. If you have the thunder sword, it's it's possible to down that first mid mid uh, mini boss in one shot, but it do, it it doesn't always happen for some reason. Uh, when you defeat that guy, uh, it sort of implodes and then explodes, and so you have to watch out for sort of purple shards of that outer shell. Then you go back through another gauntlet of of the spiders with lasers, and then you go on to the second mini-boss. Oh, sorry, I would like to stop you for one second. <clears throat> Two things I'd like to mention here. <clears throat> At the start of the stage, you can either go up or down. Oh, right. If you go up, you can get, I believe, it's blade and a uh, extra life. If you go down, it's a hunter and, and shield. What, what, what are the two combinations there? I'm trying to remember. Oh, I don't remember. And and that's on easy and normal. On hard, a lot of the hidden power-ups like that are not there or they change, I think. That, that's one of the things, because I've been playing on hard difficulty here on the, the back half of the month. And so it's... There are far fewer shields and some of the power-ups you just don't get. <laughs> so it makes the game more challenging. Definitely. <clears throat> But one thing that will definitely keep you going throughout Stage 8 is the soundtrack. And this has uh, the most, well, I'd say one of my favorite songs in a shmup. you care to give us a little information on it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's probably the most famous song in all of the Thunder Force series. It's called Metal Squad. And uh, I didn't know this when uh, I was younger, so I kind of had my own name for it. We'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, Metal Squad is, I mean, it, it's metal. It, it's heavy metal. It is not robot farts like you would expect out, some people to say out of a Genesis. This is music that I would put up against Yuzo Koshiro. It is very good music. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's iconic and it's, you just want to pump your fist in the air when you're listening to this song. It's just really, really good. Um, but anyway, the the second uh, mini-boss is this really stupid series of these sort of enemy generator things at the top of the ceiling. And you have to destroy them uh, while they're spitting out enemies and also while the enemies that are on the ground are shooting lasers at you. Yeah, this is a very tough section of stage eight. You got it's dropping mechs on there. The mechs themselves, when you destroy their legs, they fly up in the air and try shooting at you. Definitely on this part, if you have the thunder sword, you want to hit the first one on the left at least to destroy some of the containers. But even though it's dropping stuff, I believe you can still get hit from even if it's not dropping mechs. Some of the remnants that are coming out of the tubes. Yeah. It's just, it's a very difficult part, and the the thing about the Thunder Sword, too, is it has knockback, where when you use it, your ship, it's like recoil. Uh, so you have to be careful not to get too close to the left side, because there's, there's actually scenery there that you can run into. So it's a, it's a very precarious uh, setup. Now... Um, so one strategy that I used that I had some success with was to s switch to the freeway um, 
and kind of move myself down to sort of the bottom left and angle the missiles so that they would kind of shoot forward and upward um, so that you could kind of take out the mechs that were coming down, take out the the heads when they lopped off uh, as they were kind of coming down at an angle at you and still shoot up enough missiles to kind of slowly take out those those uh, enemy generators. But yeah, that's, that's probably the most difficult mid-boss or mini-boss fight in the game, I would say. I want one of the long plays I ended up watching. The I believe they used Snake. Uh, they took out the first generator pretty quickly using Thunder Sword, and then they used Snake to qu- run sort of damage control over the popcorn enemies that keep popping up. And then you, Snake, the top half of the Snake would hit the generator and take it out. Yeah. See, and I didn't have much luck with Snake, but that's just me. <laughs> hey, um, it was definitely really really hard for me. And, and even if you're playing this on easy, it's still a very hard boss or portion of the level to get through. Yeah, I mean this this whole stage is is a challenge. Uh, the third mini boss is this mech that has this weird thing where he's got these orbs that kind of hover out in front of him, and they'll do this weird thing where they've got these spinny flame things that kind of uh, spin around and then he shoots out these kind of homing lasers at you uh, and you have to you can you can actually destroy those uh, and so you have to be careful and, and dodge those and then you know shoot down the ones that you can and then he's got a sort of fireball attack that he'll shoot at you and then he'll do this thing where he'll sort of fly towards you in a wavy pattern and uh, will try to attack you more directly. And then one additional attack he does at the back of the screen is he'll shoot out this giant blue laser at you that looks similar to what the Thunder Sword does. And so if you're at the back side of the screen, it won't hit you. But um, if you're closer to the center or you know up a little ways, you'll uh, you'll have a hard time with that. He can be a bit of a challenge because of the homing lasers. And also because his pattern is slightly erratic. Uh, and so as far as I was able to, to glean, there's not a specific tell as to when he's going to shoot the fireball thing at you. Um, so especially when he starts to fly in close, you have to try not to be sort of line of sight with him uh, so that you don't get get hit with that fireball. Uh, and then the fourth mini boss is this robot snake once again with the snakes uh lots of snakes in this game uh indiana jones would not uh not be having a good time in this game but it's it does this weird thing where i don't know if even snake is even the right word it's like this sort of robot orb head thing and then it has a tail and it'll it'll do this thing where it'll sort of approach and then its head will turn around and what you need to do then is move the opposite direction of that so that when it moves to the back of the screen then its head will turn around again and that's when it changes from this sort of gold color to this brown color and that's when it's actually vulnerable and so you'll end up probably using the rail gun quite a bit and uh, again the thunder sword helps but depending on its attack, sometimes it shoots these blue lasers at you that are not uh, anything that you can 
can shoot down like some of the others. Uh, and so those you absolutely just have to get out of the way. Other times it'll shoot these this uh, spread shot of orange lasers at you. And while they're not homing lasers like the previous mini boss, they will bounce off the walls and then angle back down at you. Um, so they can be a bit of a nuisance. He also has this attack that he can do where he shoots out these, I'm not even sure what you call them, these flaming lava rock things, almost. Yeah, the snake boss is one that I found to have some of the, they've inserted a bit of a personality into it because it, when it's destroyed, it will dart its head back and forth real quick and like, is this really happening? And it'll just sort of blow up. It's a little bit of a comical effect there, and I thought it was a nice touch and really well done. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like it's it's short-circuiting or something, and, and it's flailing about, going back and forth like, uh, you know, oh, you know, Danger Will Robinson, system failure, you know. Yeah, and the, the, going real quick back to the previous boss, at least on normal, I had the most success in staying in the bottom left, because he does have a long reach with it, fl the flaming orbs and everything, but you have to be ready for when he moves forward to get out of the way. Yeah, that's true. And then the evil core itself is... It's an interesting boss with multiple phases. Uh, it'll shoot out one of two worm-like arm things, and they're these sort of golden brown uh, segments. And then one of those segments is this purple segment, and that's the one that is the weak point. Now... Sounds like that scene from Life Force. Yeah, the snake weapon, if you're going to go at it, or if you have to go at it with regular weapons, snake and freeway are good for that. Um, Hunter is good for that because it'll seek out the weak point. But ideally, you want the thunder sword because a single full blast from the sun thunder sword will take out each one of these arms. And so one of the arms will come out, you shoot it, you get rid of it, and then the next one will come out, you shoot it, you get rid of it. Then... What comes out is this goofy-looking, like, egg sac thing that shoots out all these little sort of larvae and little flies and stuff at you. And it's really gross and uh, really cool, but those flies will do this uh, kind of suicide maneuver where they will fly underneath of your position and then when they go down into the ground, a, a huge air pocket shoots up and will try to push you up toward the ceiling. Um, and so you have to be careful to move out of the way when it does that and uh, be, be cognizant of where those flies are moving. When you damage it enough, then it'll jump off the ground and do this thing where it floats up to the top of the screen and then it'll do this thing where it'll kind of spin around as it's floating back down and shoot these really fast lasers back and forth that you uh, that you have to dodge. Then, in the final phase, that thing will lay on the ground and there will be a larger, almost like a queen fly or bug thing that will come in and grab a hold of that sort of egg sac thing and then fly around the screen with it. And it'll shoot... The, the big bug will shoot a laser out at you that you have to dodge, and it will move all the way to the left side of the screen. So you may have to 
go underneath of it or ideally over top of it so that you can dodge and get out of the way. It also has the thing where the egg sac will start to drop off these, I'm not even sure what you call it, these little pustules or whatever that drop down. And then when that hits the ground, it creates a sort of an explosion of air and I don't know, some kind of probably poisonous stuff or acid or something, um, but that's dangerous. And so it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on with this boss. Yeah, it's it's almost like it was uh, ripped out of one of the Salamander, aka Life Force games. Yeah, it, it's very it's it's a lot more bio than mechanical. You know, in, in terms of most everything else in the game is is much more technology, machinery, robotics, etc. This is very much uh, organic in comparison. Yeah, it's all uh, to give you an idea, anyone who's played our type would give you a good idea of what stage 8 is like. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Definitely would have to say that this boss gave me the most trouble out of probably the entire game. Yeah, th- it's difficult because uh, it's it's not just it's not just moving around and dodging uh, enemy fire, but you're also dealing with with multiple hazards. You know, you've got the ground above and the ground below that you can crash into. You've got those little larvae flies uh, going and sacrificing themselves to create those big tufts of air that will shoot you up toward the ceiling, and um, and you, you have to either move out of the way or make sure that your speed is up enough so that you can help to kind of stave off that so that you don't hit the ceiling when it pushes you up. Um, there's another phase where the boss toward the end will shoot out a whole bunch of these larvae at you. And even when those are are flying out at you, they'll push you up or they'll push you down depending on where it grazes the ship. So you can still, uh, even with that, uh, you know, get destroyed and, you know, have difficulty with, with it from that perspective. All right. You want to set us up for stage nine? All right, stage nine, also known as the wall, is the end of the biobase. Once inside the biobase, you'll encounter further resistance from new chaos forces and alien life forms, and have to maneuver through some some time corridors to reach the core of the enemy stronghold. But before you can do that, you must confront the Arment Clow. The Arment Clow is like this huge, huge biomass crab. It's, we'll get to it in just a moment here, but it's really bizarrely looking. It, it, again, it almost looks like um, something that would be in a future R-type game. But <clears throat> going back to the stage itself, this stage, you see a lot of the bio fade away, at least initially. And it's a lot more just mechanical wreckage. The, a lot of the stage is it's easier in pacing to let you know that the boss rush of the previous stage the biobase has passed and you're you're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel as you're going through this stage there's a lot of I almost call them spring loaded enemies where you have to shoot them and then after a little bit they bounce back block your way and as long as you're careful around those you 
you won't get hit. It's not a particularly hard stage as long as you pay attention. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, stage nine is interesting because it is a bit of a a bit of a breather after the intensity of stage eight. The thing that stage nine brings to the table is there are a lot of environmental hazards. You know, you have yeah those spring-load enemies I just spoke of. Right. You also have uh, toward the beginning of the stage there are these little funky white spider things that will jump up and grab onto your ship and you can't destroy them. Um, now if you happen to get one on your ship and you can survive its uh, its attachment because they sort of drag you down slowly and and you know take you down toward the ground but if you can manage to survive their attachment to your ship you actually get a bonus of I think 10,000 points so it's sort of an interesting uh, little scoring uh, tidbit there but the stage is all about environmental hazards there are these ships that will come in from the right side of the screen that will shoot missiles at you and you can shoot down the missiles but if you do uh then the the missiles i don't know if you'd call it a wake or whatever but it's sort of an after effect of the missile will keep coming at you and so even if you destroy the missile that will still kill you um there are there's, it's more maze-like in the sense that uh, you definitely have to move around and avoid large uh, areas and walls and things like that. There are some spots where uh, enemies are in the way and you have to shoot uh, in order to... Like, there's a couple of things where there are these sort of weird arm things that you shoot them and then they'll curl up. Yeah, the, the spring enemies. Yeah, and and if you're shooting them, they'll curl up. And then when you stop shooting them, you really need to get out of the way before they swing back and, and uh, you know, swat at you. And there's one part where there's this weird sort of tentacle arm thing that will come up from the left side of the screen and reach up and grab this this uh, top of this deal and pull it down and so you have to be at the bottom right side of the screen so that when he pulls that down it doesn't crush you uh, the nice thing is once you learn that then you can as soon as that thing is pulled all the way down you can shoot up to the top and left a little bit into the crevice that's there for a one up but then a little bit after that, there's a series of corridors that you can go through and, and there's an upper path and a lower path. And I think the upper path is recommended, um, but all these enemies come in from the left and the right to shoot down and um, you have to, you know, just kind of be careful to not run into the walls and stuff like that or the floor or the ceiling. After that, there's a spot that is a little bit deceiving. There are these sort of glowing, pulsating pieces of alien flesh that fly out from the right side of the screen. When you see those, don't shoot. Your inclination will be to shoot because it's a shoot 'em up game and you're supposed to shoot, but don't. If you shoot them, they will come directly toward you and most of the weapons in the game won't destroy enough of them that you'll be able to ward off their attacks. But if you don't shoot, they'll just kind of float on by you. And so as long as you can navigate 
and move around and weave kind of in between them, you'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, the the boss, the Arment Claw. Now, I, I gotta believe this is a translation error of some kind, because it almost seems like they're trying to say an armament claw. Or armored claw or something like that, yeah. Something like that, because like you said, it's this giant mass that has these crab pincers on the front, and it's a really cool boss. You know, it, it comes in the screen, and the boss takes up, I would say, about 50% of the screen real estate. Uh, and then you've got an area above and beneath it that you can kind of fly past and get behind it, and then you have to use, uh, you know, the railgun or backshot or freeway or or something like that that you can use to shoot behind you in order to take out these successive lasers that shoot in uh, kind of sequence that uh, they shoot out these big blue lasers at you. Very similar to the second level boss in Fantasy Zone where it shoots out these lasers at you one at a time from top to bottom. Very much like that. And then once you destroy those lasers, then the ship moves back toward the back of the screen. You gotta circle back around. And then it does this attack pattern that it shoots these volleys of missiles at you. And then its weak point is kind of the center point by this little sort of claw mouth thing. And uh, it's got a couple of things where it can shoot out these, I don't even know what you call them, like these wave laser things at you that where you can get caught and uh, not have any room to maneuver and uh, get destroyed. But you can take out the two claws, or you can take out you can take out the bottom claw, and then once you do that and you damage it enough, then it does this thing where it will shoot out this laser thing that sort of circles around the screen. And so what you want to do is move over top of the boss and quickly circle around it and then as the laser is kind of making its full sweep around the you know clockwise around the screen you're pelting it in the front in its weak spot another interesting thing is once you've damaged the boss to the point where it begins to explode it's not dead yet so it's still deadly and it will keep moving toward your position so you have to keep kind of flying over or under it to move around so you can get out of the way before it finally explodes. Yeah, it's one, one in my opinion, it's one of the better boss fights in the game. Something that was challenging, but also impressive to look at. It Definitely a lot of fun on this one. Yeah, very, very impressive. Large boss, lots going on. Uh, interesting, you know, pattern and all that. And, and definitely... Um, very imposing, menacing kind of kind of boss. Yeah, I would go as far as to say it's a giant enemy crab fit for a PS3. <laughs> so the final, uh, the last level in the game uh, is called Versus. And um, it's not so much a level as it is uh, just sort of a short hop until you get to the, the last boss. But in the final showdown, you'll approach the area where the chaos... Supercomputer is being guarded. You gotta survive the attacks of that indestructible sentry ship once more, and a massive laser cannon that sits behind it. Uh, if you can do that, then you'll take on the final challenge, uh, known as Orn Faust, 
a giant robot with heavy armor and defenses. The Vios supercomputer is actually inside of that, and its destruction will ensure safety for the Galactic Federation, at least for now. Yeah, the one thing I, that I didn't realize and took me a long time to realize is in the dealing with verses with that in this I didn't realize I was shooting the boss for so long thinking you know, I'm making some hits I'm making some hits I didn't realize I was actually playing a giant game of pawn and I had to <laughs> shoot what was behind the robot because the robot was indestructible right yeah and and so it's it is kind of weird because the sentry robot comes out you're pelting it with all sorts of weapons you know from earlier in the game that that you can't destroy it or you couldn't destroy it with your traditional weapons. And so, like I said earlier, you know, there's a little bit of bait and switch with uh, the Thunder Sword making you maybe think that you can take it down with that, but no, you can't. What you have to do is aim for the giant, uh, a giant cannon behind it when it moves out of the way. But when it moves out of the way, you got to move out of the way too by flying to... Uh, the very bottom of the screen like it does so that when the cannon shoots out that giant sort of fireball thing uh, you don't get caught in its path and then there's a small window of time where right after that fireball shoots as the sentry ship is rising back up that you can pelt that cannon with a few shots Um, generally probably blade is the way to go with that I think just because it's the strongest, you know, sort of forward gun in the game. The other thing we should mention is when you first start the versus stage, the, a bunch of the orange power-up ships are right there, and you can destroy them and get all the weapons in the game, uh, except for the hunter. It will not give you that one. So if you don't survive to that point with the hunter intact, you will not have it for the last boss fight. Yeah, I ended up using the blade weapon on this fight. Yeah, the other interesting thing is, assuming you can survive it, you can sort of milk this boss, uh, or this mid-boss fight a little bit, because the orange power-up ships will come out from the the cannon periodically. And so, uh, if you... If you just dodge the sentry ship's attacks and don't attack the cannon, it'll start throwing power-ups at you. Uh, And so you can use that to get a higher score because every power-up you collect that is a duplicate of something you already have, you get a bonus of 10,000 points. So it is a way to kind of boost your score a little bit. One of the things that I was wondering, maybe I'm overthinking this, but... Who's going to volunteer to fly one of those power-up ships? <laughs> All right, dude. Just, just fly out there. Someone's going to shoot you. You're going to explode. But don't worry. It's for a good cause. Yeah, I'm assuming they're just drones, but who knows? I'm hoping. Many, many, many Bothans died to bring us these power-ups. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it may it, it makes you wonder if it's all those ships where you all the schmucks where you're shooting down these ships are like, oh, okay, Gradius, it makes sense because you're shooting down enemy ships in there, but you just sort of wonder like, well, uh, are these en- they don't look like enemies in this game? Yeah, and see, I think 
I think that's the thing is they're they're obviously different than everything else that you're shooting, and so it kind of makes it well obvious that um, that there are your power ups. Uh, my sus- my suspicion is you're being fed these little power up drones throughout the course of the levels by um, the Galaxy Federation, and they're just kind of throwing the stuff out there for you so that while you're you know, doing this fight that you can upgrade your ship and and uh, have more weapons to fight with. Now, the final boss fight against Orn Faust is, in my opinion, actually easier than most of the other boss fights. Uh, and I say that because it's this giant armored thing that flies up and down this corridor and so you're keeping pace with it in this kind of giant vertical shaft or whatever. Like a missile silo. Yeah, like a missile silo. And what you have to do is take out the the armor on the left and right sides of this boss. So you start out on the left side and you're shooting against this sort of armor plating on the left side of the of the boss and during that, there's some different things that happen. The boss will shoot out these drone things that will kind of, they're heat-seeking, and they'll kind of come toward you, uh, and, and you can uh, ward them off with uh, freeway, or hopefully you have your claw, and you can kind of, you know, use that to help deflect them. It also has a thing where once you've destroyed one of the armor pieces, or if you take too long destroying one of the armor pieces, it'll do this thing where it'll kind of move away from you and then ram against the side of the screen that you're on. Uh, So you have to be careful and make sure your speed is turned up enough so that you can move out of the way when it does that. Then, like, if you destroy the left side first, then you move over to the right side and whip out the railgun, the freeway, etc., and keep on pelting it with your uh, with your fire so that you can take out the armor on that left side. Then my recommendation is, or on the right side, I should say, then my recommendation is to move over back to the left because then its attack pattern will change and it will spit out these... Because I think those armor deals are also like rocket boosters. And so then it'll spit out these legs with these big claws on them so that it can uh, just sort of walk up and down this shaft, uh, the silo. And it'll have these deals that'll start spinning around it that you need to shoot. It'll continue to shoot out the drone things. And its core, which is this sort of little blue orb will shoot out this giant spread shot and then the core will bounce around the screen a little ways and what you have to do basically is you can knock down all the shots in the big spread shot and you need to shoot down that core piece and that's the way that you beat uh, Orn Faust is you you just keep pelting away at that blue orb when it's flying around the screen before he finally goes down. Yeah, this boss caught me unaware with the uh, pulling away and then slamming into the wall. <laughs> Definitely did not expect that the, the first time I find this. But on the whole, it was definitely a lot more of a predictable fight than some of the others. Yeah, and like I said, I think it's an easier fight. So it's, it's not Gradius levels of easy. 
you know, getting to the final chamber and then uh, shooting the little uh, tendrils that connect the brain to the rest of the the scenery. But you're referring to no no defenses at the end. There, you fight through everything, and then all of a sudden. The last boss usually has no defenses. Right. So it's not it's not easy like that, but it's certainly a a bit of a pushover compared to some of the preceding bosses. I would agree. Well, we've kind of been talking about uh, the weapons all throughout the game, but we should probably just detail those quickly here so that for all these terms that we've been throwing out, uh, we can kind of explain what these are. So let's just kind of go back and forth on these and and uh, talk about these. the The initial weapons that you start with are uh, the first is the twin shot, and that is kind of your built-in default weapon. It shoots out a pair of orange projectiles at enemies, and uh, they shoot out pretty pretty quickly. Uh, it's not overly strong, but it is reliable. So if you get if you get hit and you lose your blade, then um, you at least always have this to fall back on. Speaking of falling back on stuff, we have the back shot, a built-in secondary weapon. You switch to this weapon for a rapid set of small blue projectiles, which are opposed to the twin shot's orange projectiles, to be shot from both the front and the rear of the Rhinex. So you at least have some means of attacking enemies behind you. Now, with this shot, you're gonna get one shot out of the front and two out of the back. So the, use the twin shot to shoot forward and the back shot, of, as its name implies, to shoot backwards. There, It's effective to a point, but there are certainly better options out there. Definitely. The back shot is the weakest enemy in the game, or weakest enemy, the, the weakest weapon in the game, and uh, definitely not something you want to rely on uh, very long. The... Uh, the upgrade to the twin shot is called the blade, and uh, that's when you shoot the orange power-up ship and you see the, the B icon. And uh, that it's a large orange blade of death which spins around at high speed and it cuts a wide swath in front of your ship, causing heavy damage. Uh, the blade is the probably the most directly powerful weapon in the game it will cause the most damage I think of any of the, the the standard weapons and we should pause here for a second and say that the blade is unique among the standard weapons in the game one thing we haven't mentioned up to this point is when you shoot enemies with your with your uh, weapons standard popcorn enemies and things like that will will just get destroyed but any enemy that takes more than a couple of shots there's a damage indicator that you can see when you shoot that enemy and so with most of the weapons like the twin shot or the freeway or things like that you can see these little explosions at the point of impact of your weapon if those little explosions are blue you're not damaging it if those little explosions are orange you're damaging it so that's the weak point that you want to hit the blade, however, does not have any of that. Um, so you kind of have to know where the weak points are uh, by trying out the other weapons and you know seeing where they are, or just hoping that because of the blade's sheer size and the amount of uh, real estate, so to speak, that it covers, that you're going to hit a weak point 
when uh, it's impacting the enemies. Alright, um, we're going to move next to the upgrade for the backshot, which is known as the railgun. This keeps a small projectile firing forward, but your rear cannons get upgraded to pretty large lasers that deal damage far, far more damage than the original configuration. This is really what you want to have if you're firing back, especially to take out that boss and the boss of air raid and to try and deal with that snake and strike. These really do, are, should be your default backwards facing weapons. Yeah, they're, they're pretty powerful. Uh, it, it's, it, I guess it's like in Gradius if you're going from the regular shot to laser on there. It's definitely an upgrade. Oh, yeah. Uh, next up is the snake. And uh, much like the railgun, your ship will retain a small forward cannon for frontal assaults, but then you begin to lob destructive bombs outward from the top and bottom of your ship, and the resulting explosions will crawl along the ceiling or the ground or on any surface that they impact for big damage. Uh, so think of it like, uh, again, you mentioned Gradius. Um, I know there's at least one type of kind of like photon torpedo in that, or there are a number of other shmups over the years that do it, but you have a bomb or a missile that will shoot down toward the ground, and then when it hits, then it creates a chain reaction uh, of explosions that kind of go along the ground for a little bit. And it's the same thing with the snake. Yeah, it's almost like a, like a cluster bomb there. Yeah. The other one that love to use against the gargoyle diver is the freeway. And the freeway is a five-wave volley of missiles that shoot out from the Rhinox opposite the direction it last moved. As an example, if you move to the right, the volley of missiles will fire directly behind it. And you'll have a forward cannon to accompany it. You can aim in any eight directions to allow for maximum destruction of foes on all sides. Really great for hitting stuff such as you mentioned uh, stage 5 hitting against the battleship or again with a gargoyle diver in those tight situations where you have to have directed aiming. Yeah, and the thing the thing to remember about the freeway is you cannot lock it in position. Uh, and so anytime you move, even in the slightest, uh, if you tap a direction and you move a different direction than what you just what you had previously moved, the freeway will change position. Now, one nice thing about the freeway is, you know, with the with the the snake or the railgun, where you still get that little bit of forward fire on that, the freeway does that too. But whatever the direction is that you moved in, is the direction that you'll get that sort of little bit of fire going. While then the freeway volley of missiles goes the opposite direction. So you still have a little bit of quote-unquote forward fire or, you know, fire in the direction that you're moving rather than being completely exposed. So that's a nice touch. Definitely agree. Moving on, we have one of my favorite weapons in the game, the Hunter. As its namesake would suggest, a homing weapon that consists of a spread of three blue homing energy projectiles fired in rapid succession. These will seek out a target until it's destroyed, though their damage ratio isn't as strong as some other weapons. <clears throat> Definitely has its uses in stage, in the air raid stage and um, stage 6 or the 
frozen over lake stage. I also like using it in stage four, but its mileage may vary depending upon the user and how much they... I wonder if anybody thinks this is more of a handicap weapon. Yeah, I, I think the general consensus is you get the hunter and then you use the hunter. I don't necessarily feel that way. Um, if you're playing on easy, it's a good way to cheese the game and make it make it easier to play through. You still have to memorize, you know, enemy placement and and uh, uh, patterns and movement and stuff. But it definitely makes the easy mode a lot easier. Um, but as we said, you know, in stage seven, you've got those bubbles that the hunter can't destroy, so you can't rely on it 100%. And it doesn't it doesn't do as much damage as some of the other weapons. So you you really need to be cognizant of when and where you're using it. Also, uh, there are a few instances where the hunter won't even penetrate the enemy's uh, defenses, such as the first mini boss in stage eight, that uh, purple orb. One of its attacks is where it sort of splits into four pieces and opens up just a little bit so it can shoot a, a volley of four lasers out, the hunter won't penetrate that. Um, and so if you're trying to use that weapon to uh, to fight that mini-boss, it's going to take you a lot longer. Um, so there are times when the hunter is is not the preferred weapon, or shouldn't be. Also, of course, we've been talking about them. There are one-ups. Uh, and so you can earn extends through score, um, but then there are also one-up icons littered throughout the different stages. Uh, some of them are hidden and have to be uncovered, and some of them are a bit more obvious or are available by shooting down one of the orange power-up drones, um, such as in Air Raid, um, as you mentioned earlier, Addicted, where um, at the end of the speed trap and on the top path, you can grab that one up. But a uh, good example of a hidden one up is at uh, on stage, stage five, five at the at the front nose. of the yeah the nose of the battleship. Um, if you shoot that area right in front of the nose, you'll uncover a one up. Yeah, the only place I can think of that don't have it. At least, uh, we're, I'm assuming on normal difficulty here, but <clears throat> is Ruin. And then there will be, uh, let's see here, Stage 5 has one, Stage 6 has one, Stage 7 has one, Stage 8 has one. I'm not sure, Stage 9 has one up in the upper left-hand corner. Right. So, with the exception of Ruin in the last stage, I think, which is basically just a boss battle, I, I think all of them have them. Yeah, and it is possible, let's see, there is a one-up right before you go to the last boss. Okay. I... And I want to say, if you're milking the sentry ship and cannon, there's a possibility that one of the one of the power-up drones may drop another one-up. So the game is pretty liberal with its one-ups. You can do pretty good. Obviously, the idea, general idea is to stock as many ships as you can earlier. So that way, when you finally get over to Biobase or Stage 8, you have a bit of a buffer. Right. Okay, moving on to one of the most useful items in the game, the shield. Located in a few areas, the shield will extend an electrified barrier of protection around the Rhinex that allow up to three hits before it dissipates. It has about a two-second recovery window, so if your shield takes a hit, 
get out of there quickly or, or it'll deplete faster. And, and I, it flashes orange for a moment when you get hit. Yes. So it's a good visual representation. I like this, just like the uh, Gradius one starts shrinking when it takes a hit. Yeah. The other thing that's cool is on when your shield is down to its last hit, it turns orange all the way. Uh, and so then, then you know that you are in danger of losing your shield. The other thing that's interesting is the number of shields diminishes as you go up in difficulty, uh, from normal to hard especially. I know, for example, there's a shield on easy and normal on the Dazer stage. That shield is nowhere to be found on uh, hard difficulty. And there are a couple of other instances where, like in uh, Stage 7, where there are at least two shields that you can get on easy and normal. Once you get to hard difficulty, there's only one. So you have to be a lot more... Um, a lot more careful as you're maneuvering around in hard mode and likely in maniac mode as well in order to keep your shield. Yeah. <laughs> For those who really want to challenge try maniac mode, it definitely lives up to its name. Yeah. We have also mentioned this multiple times, but uh, there's also the claw, and this item creates a spinning pair of helper units, which, in addition to firing extra projectiles at enemies, based on whichever weapon you have selected, will also block some enemy projectiles. So the claw really is a huge benefit because it spins around, the, the two items spin around your ship, they'll deflect some enemy bullets, and also will shoot out additional shots uh, for your weapon. So for example, on the blade, you know, you shoot the big blades from the front of your ship, well, it'll shoot these little mini blades out in a sort of low angle out from the ship. Or for the railgun, it'll just shoot additional large lasers out from behind you. For the freeway, for example, it will shoot out an additional two forward missiles from your ship when you're equipped with the claw. Or, again, with the hunter, you just get additional seeking shots that shoot out. One of the interesting things about this is the game claw, you can clearly hear the game claw, the craw on there, and I thought that was a, you know, like, well, just a Erngish type thing. But it, all the documentation I've seen, the claws are actually a craw. And if you look at the, uh, in Thunder Force 5, you, they become more like options. You can get three of them on your ship, but it's actually, in English, says C-R-A-W. Right. Well, let's be honest. I'm not sure that I would say that it clearly says Craw because the voice samples in this game are a little lo-fi. But uh, oh, no, I definitely agree. But I'm talking about Thunder Force Five. In, in English, it says C R A W. Right. Yeah, and that's a weird sort of translation thing because I think I think in the uh, in the manual for Lightning Force it says Claw. Um, but yeah, in different locations it says craw, so it is a little bit weird, and, and I'm not sure which is official, uh, whether it's claw or craw. Uh, it makes me think of, of uh, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but uh, it makes me think of, of uh, what was that show on Nick at Night with Agent 86? 
I can't remember. Anyway, one of the one of the enemies in the or one of the enemies one of the uh, people in the evil uh, organization would uh, was called the Claw, but. Uh, the, the guy in it was get smart and and the guy he, he would always call him the craw and uh, uh, of course this guy had a heavy accent and so he would try to say not craw claw but the way he said it it there was very little distinction between the two and so it was sort of a running joke in the in the show well I be- I believe that the uh, and I could be off it but I think that the one of the letters on here, and, and I'm having uh, problems right now remembering which, but one of these doesn't exist in the Japanese language. Oh. And I'm trying to remember which on there, and that's part of the reason why things are mixed up. And I can't remember if it's the R. I think it's the R. Hmm. That could be. Not, but, but I'm trying to remember on there. I, I'm sure that we'll hear feedback from somebody on this, but one of them, it's not officially in there. So they, they have problems on... No, it's not that. It's not the R. It's the, um, the oh, the L. I, I was just thought of Rockman for a second, but no, it's not right. Um, one of one of them, it's definitely definitely not in there. So it, that's that. I believe is the reason why they have a little bit of mistranslation. But you're right with the voice samples on there. The lady who you can barely understand say one up. Yeah. As you grab the stuff, it, it leaves a lot to interpretation. But when you're saying the voice samples are probably one of the weakest parts of this game, you know it's good. Right. All right. Moving on, we're going to deal with the Mohawk, also known as the Thunder Sword. At the stage end of stage five, your claw gets upgraded to a new form and unlocks the game's penultimate weapon, the Thunder Sword. To charge it, simply stop firing your ship's weapons. The longer you charge, the bigger the boom until you reach the maximum capacity, which sends a huge blade of blue laser thrusting forward through your ship, accompanied by a pair of lightning strikes which emanate from your newly upgraded claw or craw. Yes. This this weapon is so much fun to use because it, it's, got, it's such a cool effect too because it has an accompanying sound effect and when you see the craw or claw orbiting around your ship, when you're not firing and it's charging, you see this sort of electric field around each of those orbs. And so it's a really neat kind of build up to uh, the ability to fire it. And then once you do fire it, it's an impressive weapon that uh, is just, it has such an impact. And like I said before, it has a recoil effect to it. So you know, you know, that's just a way visually for the game to. Uh, just kind of indicate to you how powerful it is. You know, this blast is so powerful that it's pushing your shit back. Yeah, it's definitely one of those weapons that stays ingrained in your brain. It, it's it, it has everything. It's got the shock value. The this is cool value. It, it's definitely an iconic weapon in a shmup. Yeah. As as the options are in Gradius, the Thunderstorm is is to Thunder Force. Yeah, something that you would instantly recognize. Very much so. Now that we've gone over the weapon systems on here, <clears throat> want to deal with a little bit of how they function with the game. Whatever weapon you currently have, as long as it's not the 
twin shot or the back shot. If it's selected and you're hit and you die, you lose that weapon until you collect it again. Yes. And the only Thunder Force that I've played that doesn't do that is Thunder Force 6. Right. Thunder Force 6, you keep the weapons the entire time. Yeah. The the exception to that is in the the new port of the game that M2 did for the Sega Ages line that is on the Nintendo Switch, that has a kids mode where when you die, you don't lose the weapon that you were using. Um, so it, it makes the game even easier because then once you get the hunter and you have a full complement of weapons, combine that with the, uh, the 99 lives trick, which we'll mention here a little bit later, and you can still kind of play through the game and have a have a go at it it's nice that they're making accessible for all skill levels yeah and so one of the things that the game doesn't tell you but you should definitely know is weapon damage can be determined by looking at the point of the enemy where your weapon is impacting so quick translation of this is if you see a small blue explosion it's not damaging the enemy if you have a small orange explosion, you're hitting the right spot. For the hunter, that changes into a large blue or large orange ring. Sorry, large orange ring to denote the impact. The blade weapon, as we mentioned previously, has no indicator because of, of its sheer size and strength. Or uh, it may have just been a little bit hard to deal with something that's orange, going to show up as a little orange circle, or so they're making it really hard to tell if you're hitting on there. Which is why I'm sure a lot of people had some problems with with Gargoyle Diver. I know I did until I switched to the three-way that made things easy. This is really hard to tell if exactly if you're hitting correctly, and you have to line up your shots in order to hit that orb. Yes, definitely. Would you like to uh, say a few words about the graphics? For the graphics, I would say kick, but no. <laughs> <laughs> the graphics are great because they can... They give, They have a very. They go from a very vibrant and colorful style in the first couple levels, and then starts getting darker and darker, more Geiger-esque, more like R-type. They don't quite go in, into cutesy colors and stuff that you find in Cute 'Em Up or like Fantasy Zone or um, Space Harrier, but it's very bright and vivid, and it makes the world seem alive. They did a good job on making sure everything was well-defined. For example, in a lot of the riding games, you're going, where'd that bullet come from? Because it's either the background's moving too fast and you're having trouble, or it sort of blends in with the rest of the game. You really don't have that here. Right, yeah, it, everything is well-defined, everything is is colorful, and there's enough contrast in between bullets and backgrounds and things like that to where your death in the game should be your fault because of all the visual cues. Um, you know, once, of course, you've learned the layouts and the, the enemy placement and patterns and things like that, death in the game should be your fault from a graphics standpoint because you should be able to see what's happening and what's coming after you. One of the things that Thunder Force is known for is its parallax scrolling, as you mentioned before with the lava in Thunder Force 3. And this game definitely takes it up a notch. 
I love the multiple layers on there, especially with you start with Strite on there, you can get that nice effect of the clouds and the water is going through. Beautiful and really well done. The uh, sand blowing effect in Dazzler is great. Just watching it blow across the dunes. The parallax and lighting in Air Raid is great. I especially like the part where the turret, through probably about midway through the stage when the turrets were targeting you and the bullets would, the sprite scaling that was going on. Yeah. The Starfield Parallax, as we mentioned earlier in Stage 5, is definitely a highlight. <clears throat> the boss recoloring on the fly in Volvados, won the lava effects on Stage 7 and this VO. Those are really well done. Not quite as impressive as the Thunder Force 3, but still pretty well done. The all, the Lord of the Flies <laughs> boss fight in and all those little sprites, those fly sprites that die and then produce those large explosions. The uh, screen filling bosses, and we're dealing with the giant enemy crab on the end of stage nine. Or even the the game of pawn, giant game of pawn that you played at the very the two the uh, two last bosses for the giant android, and then of course the giant flying slash crawling mech at the very end. And there, the glowing effect on the the last boss is very well done, especially it gives you a good job of letting you know that it's taking damage. Are there any other highlights that you'd like to mention? I think you hit the high points. One thing I would mention is uh, that's kind of a neat thing, too, is uh, going back to the, the boss recoloring in Volbados. That is actually how it cues you as to when you can deal damage to it. Because when you first start out, the boss is sort of this greenish-blue color. And when it closes the sort of tines of its trident and turns red, that's when you can deal damage to it. And so it does that a, a handful of times during the course of the boss fight. And so it's kind of a neat way that it indicates to you that you can actually uh, damage it. And so it, it, it serves as both a, a, graphic, a cool graphical effect that's impressive, but also the practicality of, you know, oh, there's my opening, you know. Yeah, it's nice that they give you visual cues for the boss visit. One of the things that would probably be a little harder to do in this is a sound cue. Because you've got, with the soundtrack that's going on everything else, you have explosions going on. It would be really hard to get that nice, like, all right, listen for the metallic thunk. That means that you're hitting the boss. Right. So they had to do something else with this. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, metallic thunk, um, that segues us nicely into talking about the sound and the music. And the uh, the soundtrack was composed by three individuals at Technosoft: Toshiharu Yamanishi, Naosuke Arai, and Takashi Yoshida. And the the way that they are billed in the credits sequence at the end of the game lists them as Funky Soronen, Omen, and Yunkor Matai. I'm not sure what the significance of those nicknames are, but we've already mentioned that this is 
this game has a brilliant soundtrack. Uh, there are 48 total pieces of music in the game, from the intro music, Lightning Strikes Again, to, of course, as we mentioned before, the iconic Metal Squad theme from Stage 8, and the nearly equally iconic Stand Up Against Myself, which is the credit roll theme. Now, 10 of the 38 pieces of music in the game are actually extra, and they're unused during the regular game. Once you beat the game on any difficulty level, you unlock those, and then when you go into the options menu and into the, the sound test, then you can choose any one of those 10 uh, additional tracks, or known as omake tracks, and they're, they're not named, they're just labeled as omake 1 through 10. The music in the game is an interesting mix of kind of synthesized hard rock and heavy metal, and also a lot of very electronic music and some different uh, moody things in there. There are a couple of recurring songs or themes from earlier games that return. Uh, the Game Over music, or Dead End as it's called, returns from uh, Thunder Force 2 and 3. And then also uh, a piece called Tan Tan Ta 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 Tan is uh, briefly played in Thunder Force 2 as you're starting a stage, but you only hear a couple seconds of it, whereas in Thunder Force 4, you get a fully fleshed out version that is the music that plays at the uh, uh, the stage select screen. And so that uh, is kind of a neat thing that they did by bringing back some of the older music. Uh, the soundtrack in the game makes excellent use of both both of the sound chips that are in the Sega Genesis. The Yamaha YM2612 chip, and then also the SN76489 PSG chip, which was originally in the Master System and then later in the Game Gear, in order to provide backwards compatibility with the Genesis. And so a lot of the Sega team and a handful of other of third parties and that, but Technosoft in particular, did a really good job of utilizing both sound chips to get the most out of it. And so the music is very layered and it has a lot going on and they really utilize those those sound chips very effectively. Sound effects are generally quite good uh, with some good explosions. Uh, however, the voice samples, as we've mentioned, are a very, very low quality. Uh, even lower quality than what you would find in Thunder Force 3, and they sound very scratch, uh, scratchy and garbled. Um, they're not quite as bad as what you get in Thunder Force 2, but they're, they're definitely bad. I remember when I was a kid playing this game, when you would get the blade power up, now I can hear it more clearly that it says Blade. You know, blade! But when I was a kid, it almost sounded like she was saying Rogue. And so I was like, what the heck is Rogue? <laughs> <laughs> One thing I want to add in here real quick is Technosoft definitely did not use gems. Are you familiar with gems? Yes. Can you spell it out? It's just G-E-M-S. And uh, it was kind of a... It, it's a sound engine that Sega designed as, uh, as part of their development kit. And rather than writing their own sound fonts or creating their own music in assembly or 
you know, writing their own uh, music composition engine, a lot of developers took the easy way out and they used gems. Unfortunately, that means that when people complain about the Sega Genesis not making very good music, a lot of what they're probably talking about is music that was composed in gems and using a lot of the uh, built-in tools therein that didn't really have the best uh, sort of synthesized instruments or best use of the uh, FM synth capabilities of the Genesis. Yeah, and it's also a reason why a lot of people say a lot of the Genesis stuff sounds the same. Everybody was using this, the same generic engine on there. Well, it made development easier. It certainly didn't help deal with the unique capabilities of the Genesis itself. Right. And speaking of gems, you know, it kind of makes me think of the uh, the Genesis Gems podcast. One of the recurring uh, jokes on their podcast is, you know, they reviewed Road Rash relatively early on. And some of the sound effects and music in that game are a little bit off-putting, and I know that uh, Gems was a factor in that, and so one of the things that they say is that there's some bits of music in the game that almost sounds like uh, dying cats. <laughs> and so <laughs> they, they, they sometimes, when they talk about music in games, they, they talk about uh, whether or not a game has dying cat sounds. Well, the, one of the infamous examples on there is uh, Marble Madness for the Genesis. Oh yeah, it's just oh, it's horrible when it's come there. But when you play the Mega Drive version, which was, I believe, programmed by Tengen themselves instead of EA, it it sounds much more natural on there. There's an entire GameSack episode on the for those who are interested. Oh, interesting. Okay, so this is where I have to geek out a little bit and and just go from podcast host to. Uh, complete nerd and say that the soundtrack to Lightning Force has been a mainstay for me for a long, long time. Uh, there were times as a kid that I would go in and turn on the 99 Lives code and do a quick clear of the game on easy just so I could go into the sound test and listen to the music in the game and listen to the Omake tracks. And as a young adult, I, with my first computer that I owned and paid for with my own money, I did this crazy thing where I used my Model 1 Genesis, since it has the, the headphone jack on it, to line that out to the sound card on my computer. I beat the game and then I captured all the music from the game onto my computer and recorded it to WAV files. Then, because this was back in the late 90s and we didn't have things like MP3s and lots of storage and stuff like that, I had to take and down convert those WAV files to, I don't remember what format it was, but it was something, a lossy format and put those on an iOmega zip disk, you know, those old zip drives, 100 meg disks or whatever, and I copied those over. Then I took them to the office with me at my first real job and copied them to my computer there, reconverted them to WAV files because we had a CD burner at the office. It was one of those external 
scuzzy CD burners that would kick out a little special tray that you would pull out, and then you would flip up the lid and put your your CDR in there. And I used that to burn a CD of music from the game. Now, at the time, and I've got this thing in my hands right now because I still have it, it was the... Uh, the older 650 meg CD format, not the, the current that you would buy today that has 700 megs. Um, so it only holds 74 minutes of music. And so this does not contain the entire soundtrack. I'm missing, uh, I think, one or two of the Omake tracks. I also left off the Game Over music and something else to basically fit it all in here. But this CD is packed with most of the music from the game, and I mean, I went all out. I I used Photoshop, and I used the Genesis emulator to play the game and capture screenshots, so I've got the title screen of the game on here, and then I've got Quest for the Dark Star that I Photoshopped with this flame effect, and then the back of the CD has all these song titles that I made up for the tracks in the game, and then screenshots behind it showing some of the different levels. So, I mean, I've, I'm looking here, and I've got Air Raid, and I've got Dazer, and I've got um, uh, Stage 6, and I've got the battleship. So I completely nerded out on this and made this custom CD for me to listen to. And I still have it. Uh, 20 years later, it still works. And it's just, I don't know. I have, I have such a connection to the soundtrack and I don't know what it is, but the music is just so good. And uh, so for me, you know, the fact that this is my favorite shoot 'em up of all time, part of that is wrapped up in this soundtrack because I'm such a music nerd anyway. And so this for me is just the soundtrack has no equal. <laughs> I really like the soundtrack and seeing that it's coming from data disc, uh, it may be the all I told myself I wouldn't do anything as far as video games on vinyl because I you know, I, I need another collection, like I need a hole in it, but <laughs> this, may, this may actually be one that I do own, because this definitely kicks some butt. Oh, yeah. On there, and uh, definitely does Little Fro proud. Yeah, when, when I saw the announcement that Data Discs was going to do the Thunder Force 4 soundtrack, first of all, a year or a year and a half ago when they started really releasing these soundtracks and it was all Sega stuff. And I I tweeted them or emailed or something and I said, Thunder Force 4! Do Thunder Force 4! And, uh, you know, their, their response to me was, well, maybe, you know, we can look into that for the future. Well, they're making my wish come true and uh, I am stoked about this. And you can bet your bottom dollar that... Whatever time this goes on sale, I will be refreshing the page of their website until I can get in and put in a pre-order for the limited edition vinyl, whatever the color pattern is or whatever it is, so that I can have this thing to spin because, oh, I just love this soundtrack. I mean, I, I had this blog that I wrote years ago uh, that I did music reviews and stuff like that. Well, I kind of started doing this treatise on Lightning Force and why I love this game so much. And I actually did this thing where I took all these 
song titles that I created for these things before I actually knew what their official titles were. And I did this uh, walkthrough of all these songs and made this table <laughs> on my blog where I put down my original title for the song that I made up and then the actual title for the song and then what area or screen or portion of the game that that corresponds to. I just, yeah, I just, I have such a connection to this soundtrack and so I'm so glad to see that Data Discs is, is going to, to do this and I own most of their catalog of video game vinyl already and they've done such good work with some of these soundtracks and so I'm really hoping that they that they do this one right and you know give us the extra artwork and and really make this sound just excellent well I've got a challenge for you then tweet at him and tell him you want to do the liner notes oh my gosh <laughs> well that's probably already in the works I I would absolutely be honored, but, uh, wow. I might have to think about that. Not that they'll take me up on it, but, uh, you know, it'd still be a dream come true. Well, I definitely will let you know if I see it come up. Uh, and speaking, speaking of letting people know, we have people who let us know, who played the game with us and they let us know our, their thoughts as they were playing through the game. You want to get us started off? Sure. Uh, there was a little bit of discussion when we first posted the game. Uh, Lord Borb4 or Lord Borba uh, posted and, and uh, said Lightning Force? And Gollum quoted his post and said Light Ending Force. It's a crucial distinction. Kind of in jest. Um, but he says, as for the game itself, uh, as for the game itself, it seems like a lot of things kill me by hopping on screen and instantly darting for me. And for how fast and zany enemies are, very few go down in one hit. I think the silver guys on strike just before the mid-boss do. Not sure what else. It's an unusual balance that gives me the impression I'm piloting a glass spacecraft rather than one of plastic and metal, since it always shatters quickly and violently. Uh, he says, also note that Strite has Freeway hidden at the very bottom of the underwater portion just before the Extend icon. Good stuff. I definitely think that this is one of those that has a larger barrier of entry before you start to quote-unquote get good. <clears throat> this reminds me, this is sort of like a Dark Souls of shmups in the way that the I'm going to throw out the stage title here, but no relation. There's a big wall in front of you. Until you can start to get some of the pattern and mechanics down and figure what's what, you, you're going to start, you're going to think this game is too hard and you're just going to say, forget it. Yeah. It, it's. I had to play this game at least <clears throat> maybe 10 tries on Stripe before I started getting the idea of going, oh, okay, this makes sense. You know, I, I think I'll start calling this the R-type effect. <laughs> it's darn hard until you start memorizing everything. And then once you do, you start enjoying the game. You get better and better. And then you say, this game's a lot of fun. And then you start showing your friends off and everyone else goes, this game's darn hard. Yeah. I, I guess nowadays the more common thing, again, would be going back and calling it the Dark Souls analogy. Something like that. <clears throat> Looking at we've got the... Uh, 
always present and always ready to try a new game, Dougley007, said, I'll keep joining, and after one day, maybe I can beat one of these. <laughs> it was followed up by, LOL. On easy, I couldn't beat one boss. On easy with weapons coach, I managed to beat the stage and got to the boss of next. What's the best way to play, or what's the best order of stages to play? Yeah, as previously mentioned, he's definitely has a learning curve, a steep learning curve to this game. And it's it's going to reward patience and repetition, just like any shmup. But yeah. if you can stick with it and break through that wall, it's very rewarding. Yeah, and Dougley touches on something that we uh, we didn't mention earlier, but there is a there is a cheat code that you can enter in the game when you pause it to um, fill up your weapons and to activate or deactivate the the craw. So it it, it is a, a a means of at least getting a bit of a leg up so that you can kind of practice a level or have a little bit more of an advantage. And I mentioned, I alluded to before the 99 lives thing, and uh, I'll just quickly mention here before we move on, is that's where if you go to the options menu and set the lives to zero, uh, you have 99 lives. That only works, apparently, in Lightning Force. It does not work in, in Thunder Force 4, the Japanese version, and my understanding is it doesn't work in the PAL version of Thunder Force 4 either. So it's kind of a curious uh, addition. It's a bug. Well, it's a curious addition that they made to the game. So, yeah, you get to the menu, the options menu, by holding down A, B, and C, and then pressing start. And that lets you, that's how you can listen to the Omake tracks. You can change the live code. You can, I believe you can also change the buttons, what they do, correct? Yes. And then, of course, that's how you select your difficulty. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, from pretty much what I was looking into and everything I found online, or at least according online, as well as Hardcore Gaming 101 suggested that the 99 lives code was just a bug in the way that the uh, zero lives flag was set. Oh, interesting. So that would make sense in the Japanese version and the, uh, especially with the PAL version that that bug was fixed. Huh. Uh, Crabmaster2000 said, I played a lot of this a few months back and got to stage 8 a few times, but was never able to get past that one. I used a bunch of codes this time to see what lay beyond, and I can confidently say I'll never finish this one legitimately. The amount of time it would take me to learn patterns and have a good run to beat those final two stages is more than I want to invest. Pretty fun shooter, though. Some of the music feels very out of place for the stage it is set in, but then you get to something like stage 8 and you just need to crank up your speakers to 11. The credit music was pretty awesome as well. He also says, I find stages 3 and 4 to be the easiest ones for me to finish with one life and the, the bosses seem a lot more manageable than in 1 and 2. And I'm assuming that he's uh, playing those on the default order if you just go to the at the stage select screen if you just press start and have it select the default order. Yeah, we should mention here that Crabmaster is or was a musician and definitely uh, agree with him on the soundtrack there. I wouldn't say that it's not like a uh, doesn't, to me at least overall the soundtrack didn't feel out of place. I didn't feel like it was like smooth jazz during 
one of the stages, and I, I thought it had a pretty good soundtrack throughout. But Stage 8, as mentioned with Metal Squad, is just definitely one of those most memorable tracks where you're just going to turn it up and turn your speakers up to 11. Yeah. And the first time that I was playing through it, this, or tried to play through it, to legitimately get on the path for a 1cc, I tried it on easy. I didn't use any of the weapons codes, but I tried on easy, so at least I would begin to get an idea of what the boss patterns or what the patterns in general were. Yeah, nice. All right, so the next one we have is from Lewis G. It says, okay, I gave this a go tonight, and that bio-based boss ended my game. I'm assuming he's talking about the Lord of the Flies there. Yeah. I thought I had gotten the sword, but I missed it. You know, I'm assuming that he uh, was referring to, it's probably missing the crawl. Right. By the way, I'm finding it a lot easier to track movement of objects on my Genesis with CRT than on Switch. Well, that makes sense. You the, with the Switch, you're not going to have a slowdown in the Genesis. In a CRT, you're going to have zero la- input lag, and you're going to have the slowdown. Yeah. Interestingly enough, some stuff was happening that I only remember from the Japanese version, like really aggressive enemies and fast missiles in the air raid level. Maybe there's rank? I didn't find anything that would indicate that there was rank, but I wonder for some reason that he had set it to hard. Well... That's one thing that we haven't touched on so far, and I would like to mention that briefly. There is either rank or some kind of adaptive difficulty. As I was playing the game throughout the month, and especially as I was streaming the game, I noticed that if I reach certain bosses with either a shield or with the blade, they get harder. Uh, A good example is on hard difficulty... Uh, that snake, that sort of blue snake mid-boss in Dazer, if you have a shield, in addition to shooting out those orbs at you, he will shoot this giant spread of bullets out at you. Uh, And then on the boss at the end of the level, you, you got those orbs that spin around him and uh, whatever, and then when you blow, when you shoot him enough to where those blow away, uh, and then he shoots out the the single orb at you that kind of tracks your movement around the screen and, and bothers you. Instead of shooting out one of those orbs, if you get there with the blade weapon, he'll shoot two of them out, and they start shooting out little fireballs at you. So it becomes much more difficult in those situations. Uh, Interestingly, I'll have to give that a shot. Yeah. So there are certain, there are certain spots where uh, either either rank or just adaptive difficulty based on a couple of criteria, like do you have a shield and do you have the blade? Um, Because the interesting thing is, when you're fighting that boss, if you die and you lose the blade while you're fighting him, at some point those orbs will stop shooting out those little fireballs at you. And once you shoot those, or once you destroy those two orbs, when he sends out another one, it's just one, and it doesn't shoot the fireballs at you. So it's a very interesting um, a kind of adaptive difficulty sort of situation that I never noticed as a kid, but playing it as an adult, streaming it, and kind of talking about the game in real time with people as I'm, as I'm streaming it uh, really made me take much more notice of some of these things. Hmm. Alright, moving on to his next post. He says, hmm. Oh, sorry, this is after he posted his score 
and and says that he died at the wall, but he, according to him, he believes it was, it was stage eight or bio base. Says hmm, and says that the that level is the wall. I thought bio base was that mini boss heavy level, and he's right. With metal squad, and the wall was the next one. I must have it backwards. Congrats on the one CC, which he's referring to your one CC. I've only managed that with continues. I say you do lightning force on hard next. In my opinion, it fixes a few memorizing situations from the Japanese original, like the opposite of Contra Hardcore. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Contra Hardcore, for those of you who don't know, was allowed for infinite continues with the Japanese version, but the US version, they cut those out and put in limited continues. Supposedly, they made a lot of those harder for, because of the rental market in the United States, but. When you're making a game called Hardcore, (laughs) you need all the help you're going to get, and that game is notoriously difficult. Oh, yeah. Moving on to a next post, or a later post. It doesn't quite get into R-type territory, which he's referring to the memorization. But there's a fair amount of memorization, I agree. I think Thunder Force 3 was lighter on it. In my opinion, the level of memorization required doesn't reflect the randomness in the game, but rather elements like speed at which the enemies move or attack, the trappiness of the level design, <clears throat> how much it tries to corral or trap the player, for lack of an actual term, and how many hits enemies take. Do you have to be shooting them the instant they come on screen? I guess overall, and how much give there is in the gameplay, right? Thunder Force, for me, is a bit in the middle of stuff that goes. Most levels have one or two things that you have to be aware of, but everything else you can react in the fly to. It's not one of those games where every second of every level you need to know what's going to happen, in my opinion. Of course, I only played it after Thunder Force 3, so I was already pretty used to the general playstyle. And I find top view shmups to be, in general, less likely to need a higher degree of memoriz- memorization. There are some exe- exceptions like Nexer and Grindstor- Grindstormer. I sat down tonight to play and just exploded over and over. I guess it's one of those days. I do want to 1cc this thing finally before the month is out. It's only been 19 years. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I think he's right about the fact that it doesn't quite get to R-type levels of of memorization. I mean, the original R-type, you really have to route that game very specifically. And there's there are certain paths that you can take where you'll be more safe Uh, Even with some of the RNG in the game, there are spots in the level where you should be or kind of be in proximity to that in order to stay safe or have the best chance of survival. Uh, Thunder Force 4, because it's a little bit more fast action, gives you some ability to recover in situations by being able to maneuver quickly or think on your feet. Um, that's one of the things that I like about classic shoot-'em-ups is kind of having that ability as a you know as a twitch genre to be able to see something happen on screen and react to it and either succeed and survive or fail and die and then adapt and learn from that the next time. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more margin of error that you can have in Thunder Force 4 than you could have in a, a STG-like R-Type. Yeah. Um, moving on to Easy Racer, 
He says, Admittedly, most of my gaming for January has been influenced heavily by the NES Challenge, but the past week I've gotten into Lightning Force and finally feel like I'm beginning to get the hang of it. Still working on clearing the first four stages. I know most doing this have nostalgia attached, but as someone that hadn't seen it before until recently, I feel like the graphics, sound, and fluidity of gameplay are extremely well done. It's just really hard. Not unfair, though, because I feel like you have to first learn where everything's going to be as far as items and enemies on each level, then learn how to pro properly react to everything before you can make progress. Uh, in a later post, he says, So I got on a good run, but I didn't get a pick taken until right after the screen switched back to the tile screen, hence an intentional death to get back to the new high score screen. I'll admit it was on easy, but I can normally get to the boss of stage 6, the ice level. I continue to love the look and feel of this game, even though I'm not very good at it. Interesting bosses and unique environments. The route I usually take for the first four is straight, ruins, air raid, then dazer, partly because the first three I can get through with minimal deaths, but the boss on dazer continually gives me fits. I have noticed that when the boss shoots the orb that follows you, if you can get into the position to hit it with the railgun, it's pretty effective. Other brief side note, I know Metalfro has said it, but I have to agree. I love the metallic and sometimes inaudible voice that announces your weapon upgrades. It may not have been intentional, but it adds some fun character and levity to an otherwise intense game. And then in a further post, uh, he writes, while I enjoy this game a lot, I haven't been able to make great progress, always dying on the Stage 6 boss. Since it's nearing the end of the month, I tried something just for kicks. Maniac mode with 99 lives. It was extremely intense, extremely fun, and I still didn't make it to the end. Died on Stage 8. Also, have to say the music on Stage 8 is awesome. And I would have to say that as well. Definitely agree on there. The yeah, the stage six boss. If you don't know its patterns, it can be very frustrating. Especially when we mentioned before with the color changing on there, and it, it it's got those bullets that explode in four different directions, and then tries and gets you or trap you out with a lightning of its own, effectively building a wall. Give you other. It's definitely something I could see somebody getting stuck on. Yeah, something I discovered in hard mode is um, the there's this point where that boss does this thing where it stands in the or it kind of floats in the middle of the screen and then puts up kind of a barrier and shoots out these electrified balls at you and kind of shoots them off in different directions. On easy and normal, those shoot out pretty slow, so you can kind of dodge in between the different volleys. On hard mode, forget about it. Uh, your best bet is to, as soon as you see that he's about to do that, fly either over above him or underneath and just wait it out because that stuff moves really fast and it's not likely that you're going to dodge it. So, uh, after we've heard everybody who helped play with us this month of January 2019 for Lightning Force, what are your final thoughts on the game? I, I, I can't I can't say enough good things about this game. You know, coming back to this again after 
having left it on the shelf for quite some time. You know, because I, I've got lots of games now and I want to be able to play more of them. Uh, and so this is not one that I pull out quite as frequently. I still listen to the soundtrack all the time, you know, and I have a lot of fond memories of it from, from childhood, but but I, I don't pull this one out and play it as frequently because I want to focus on other games and play through other games, but I had a lot of fun coming back to this game for, for the month, and I, I've got so close now to clearing the game on hard to clearing lightning force on hard that even though we're moving on to a different game i still want to put a little bit more time into it and see if i can finally get that clear because i cleared it on normal and then i cleared the japanese version on my switch on easy and i know i can do a hard mode clear and i would like to also try what what easy racer did and try to do maniac mode with the 99 lives and uh, because I'm familiar enough with the game, see if I can make it through. You know, I think that would be fun to do. But I, I had a lot of fun with this, and it was such a nostalgia trip for me to, to play this and stream it and, uh, you know, just kind of get back into the groove with some of that muscle memory and um, just really dive into it again. Excellent. I definitely had heard of its legacy, and I had seen a GameStack episode which intrigued me enough to take a quick look at the Thunder Force series. I picked up this game for, oh, I think it was like $8 back in 2007. So I was curious and had given it a shot, but I was never that good at it. So I had to break through my own barriers and get good at this game and definitely glad I did almost everything that you can say about this game is done very well the graphics the sound the presentation the controls are spot-on I didn't have any points where I felt <coughs> that any of the deaths were due to anything with the game which is a lot to be said for some of these shoot 'em ups Definitely loved it overall. Very well done. The only part that really stuck with me and made me go, what, what's what's happening here? Was probably the ending. I didn't get the point where the guy was sniffing the girl's hair. I, I know they were supposed to be embracing, but... <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a Tress effects Or not Tress, sorry, not Tress effects uh, Too much video car talk. Uh, uh, like, a, like a suave commercial. What you like? They finished oh. Save the Galaxy, and he's like, "What you do to your hair? It smells beautiful. <laughs> it smells wonderful." <laughs> you thinking like Tresemme or something? Tresemme, yes, not Tresemme. I'm sorry, I've been doing too much video card stuff lately. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, aside from the kooky endings on there, which are endearing in their own way, <clears throat> it's a very well done game done by competent developers who had. <clears throat> put in a lot of time learning what worked and what doesn't. And it's a testament to the series as a whole. And if they ended the series on this, that would have been great. I do like this, some of the sequels, and I hope that we vi revisit them. But I would like to try out Thunder Force 3 before we go any further on there. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a good plan. We'll have, to, uh, we'll have to make note of that for a future playthrough. 
Sounds good to me. Speaking of future playthroughs, what's coming next? Well, this month, uh, in February 2019, we are playing Xanak. Um, in, of course, there is the NES version, which most of us are probably familiar with. It was also released on the Famicom Disk System in Japan, and it also received a, a version on the MSX computer. In addition to that, the Xanak Cross Xanak release that came out on the PlayStation, unfortunately in Japan only, uh, is now available on PlayStation Network. So for those of you with a PlayStation 3, you can grab that and play Xanak Neo, which is kind of a reimagining of the original game. And then it also includes three versions of the original Xanak, the NES, and FDS versions, and maybe the MSX version? I would have to check on that. And I'm pretty sure that the Xanak X Xanak came out for the, is either the 25th or the 30th anniversary of the original Xanak game. Yeah, something like that. And uh, unfortunately, it served as a bit of a bit of a swan song for Compile, because I think after that they kind of faded away. They, yep, they did. And <clears throat> coming up in March, we have the great PC STG Crimson Clover. Yes, and this is, uh, this will, we, we've kind of been covering a lot of either old school or uh, retro styled shoot 'em ups. Uh, obviously, we played Raiden 5, but that has quite a legacy in the older Raiden games, and we played. A couple of other games that are a bit more modern, but this is the newest and most modern game that we're, we've played so far, Crimson Clover, and it is a uh, Danmaku or Bullet Hell shoot 'em up, very much inspired by the uh, series of of uh, highly lauded shooters by the Japanese developer Cave, and so uh, this is a, a game that I'm looking forward to digging into. It's very inexpensive on Steam, and so that'll be uh, one definitely for the more modern shooter map enthusiast to uh, come and try to try their hand at. Isn't this our first Danmaku game? It is our first official Danmaku, yes. I'm looking forward to giving it a try. I believe it's like, when it's not on sale, I believe it's $10 on Steam. Right. Very affordable. Definitely. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'm currently trying my hand at Xanic. There is definitely a lot to talk about, but we'll, we'll get to that next time. Yeah, I, I love how I love how Xanax almost sounds like Xanax, and uh, you know, so it sounds like a medication. You know, like you watch those commercials on TV. Ask your doctor if Xanax is right for you. <laughs> uh, my doctor said yes, so I'm giving it a shot. <laughs> there you go. And uh, so, I'd like to give a thanks to everyone who participated this month. We're trying out Thunder Force. Slash Lightning Force. I'd like to give a shout out to Sir Flash of Studio Muttprints for the logo. Speaking of that logo, we now have shirts that are based upon there. Can you let people know where they can find those shirts? Yes. Just go to redbubble.com and search Shoot the Core or Shoot the Core dash cast. Either one of those will bring up the shirt. And uh, please go buy a shirt and help support the podcast. We would like to also thank Kugasu 
for the intro and outro music. Love that gallantry. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. I'd also like to thank the members of R of Gen who, who follow us through this playcast. Play uh, sorry, the members of R of Generation and the members of the playcast, as well as those who play through for the R of Gen Shmup Club of January 2019. <clears throat> I'd like to mention one more time, if you love the NES, to check out the 2019 RF Gen NES Challenge. And don't forget that a certain somebody is starting to stream. Yes, I've been streaming all through uh, January, and uh, I'll be streaming pretty much every game that we play on the Shmup Club now, as long as I have the ability to hook up whatever console or platform it is to my computer so that I can stream it. That's what I'm going to be doing. So I streamed a whole bunch of Lightning Force, and now that I've got the capability of doing it, I'll be streaming some Xanak as well. Uh, I've already streamed that a couple of times already, and so I'll be doing that in the days and weeks to come. Uh, and uh, for sure, we'll be streaming Cl Crimson Clover in March. Sounds great. Is there anybody else you'd like to shout out or thank? Um, no, I think that's it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, and we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you again next time. Yep. Thanks for listening.